This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, a double feature, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Roma. Hey, Abe, shake my hand. Okay. <laughs> I promise, I just watched it. That's why it's wet. This morning I woke up in the fortress of distortion. I'm at war with my emotions. I'm at war with they enforcement. Trying to fight for what's right and got sidetracked. Where your mind at? Never mind that. Can't be thinking the blink. You swimming, you sinking. You when you leaving the heaven. I loaded my weapon. I stay with my brother and I pray for protection. My prayer in my sight, so I'm doing what's right in that We are now recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! How are you? Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies, new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back into other fun movie topics. This is episode 347. 347. 347. That is a great number. I can't think of anything quickly off the top of my head, but I actually just like the number. It's a good number. It's a yeah. number you put in a door and think, yes. Yeah, it, it's the door that, it's the house that gives you full-size candy bars. <laughs> like that. Uh, and so, yeah, 4347, we're talking Spider-Man, colon, Into the Spider-Verse, and Roma. Yeah. I, I can't think of two movies that are more connected <laughs> to each other than those two. <laughs> but there hey, we man, go. They, some, they both got some dark themes. Sure. And uh, joining us today to discuss Into the Spider-Verse and Roma, we have, from Forbes, he's scouring the universe to find the low-budget Spider-Man movie that Sony used to talk about. It's Scott Mendelson. I think we almost found it this weekend. Also joining us from Forbes, he's back from some intense martial arts training across the border. It's Luke Thompson. Hey. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing, doing good. pretty well, actually. <laughs> good. good to have you both back here. Scott, I feel like it's since we have you on the commentary, so I feel like it's been a minute since we've had you on an actual episode. <laughs> this is true. I seem to do the commentaries more often. More than me. Yeah. <laughs> but no, good to have you back as always. And Luke, good to have you back on as well. Glad to be on. I've, Scott is never at a loss for words, so uh, I'm glad to have him on as well. <laughs> well, yeah, we got you both here. We're going to talk about some comic books and some autobiographical black and white dramas, two things that go hand in hand, like I said already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get to all that, let's get to some show notes. First up, uh, new, speaking of commentary tracks, we have a new commentary track coming to you guys this week in honor of its 25th anniversary. We're talking Tombstone for this month's commentary track. Uh, we will be recording that tomorrow night, so that'll, well, I guess in the logic of this podcast, it's already recorded, um, so it will come at you <laughs> later this week. Um, so yeah. Uh, that should be fun. I just revisited Tombstone, and I'm excited to, to talk all about that movie. Uh, but yeah, that should be a fun one. Our commentaries are always a lot of fun. We like talking about a lot of kind of, a lot of different things, getting into the info, getting into the fun, and what have you. And that's all right there on iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, Abe, did you know that you can just go to iTunes and like review our show? Well, and, like, you should tell me this again. How do we do that? You Well, you log on to iTunes. Mm-hmm. You search for our show, Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You don't even have to sh- type the whole thing. You just type Out Now mm-hmm. with and it will like it'll auto populate like the the show's that good, <laughs> not, not not good enough with the, not to right. just type out it'll auto fill. But if you type out now, it'll auto populate. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's our goal really. So if you search our show, you can just type out and you'll find it. That's the goal we have in mind. That's our personal goal. But for the time being, type type out now, and you'll get there on iTunes, and you can give the show a rating and a review. It'd be great. It'd be super great. I would want to thank everybody in advance. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, you can do that. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's what we got going. This, I will say, Abe, it is, like, Christmas is, jeez, it's next week. <laughs> so, yes, thanks for referencing Jesus. And there's still, like, <laughs> there's still, like, like, a ton of movies coming out. So we're gonna, 
I know we have our we have a double episode planned next week, but I, I have a feeling we'll probably get some like bonus ones in there as well as we mm-hmm. normally do around this time of year. Given the yeah, we'll, we'll figure out the movies. scheduling considering that uh, the holidays fall on a Monday, Tuesday, and so we'll we'll figure it all out. And plus, there's tons of guests that want to talk about the end of the year movies as well. Of course, yeah. So just know, listeners, that this is the time of giving, and we are giving you plenty of free podcasts. So get ready for all that. I think we've been doing that for like uh, seven plus years. Yeah, we don't like referencing it either because we're not we're not vain. Still not a sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's uh, that's enough of that nonsense. Let's move on. Let's get to know everybody. Where each week we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast, and better get to know everybody. Know everybody. That was good. Wasn't bad. I wound, I wound it up, and then we both pitched at the same time. It's like stuck <laughs> on you. It's almost like a million dollar arm. It, yeah, <laughs> your your pick for the dark horse of that summer. Dark horse of the summer. <laughs> um, all right, I have a question for you guys. Yes. What Spider-Man yes. exists in your universe? Interesting. Uh, my Spider-Man is Asian, not because I'm Asian, but just because you know I haven't seen an Asian Spider-Man, and he he helps deliver Chinese food from time to time. But also at the same time, he's fighting uh, his uh, his great nemesis is all around the the I guess parts of would it be in New York? I guess it has to be in New York, so it'd be in New York. There you go, Asian Spider Man. His name is I mean, Jim Lee, just as a callback. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else got a Spider Man in their universe? Interesting. So we're just sort of creating one that would sure. be in our world. I think. Uh, I think I would go for the obvious and have, like, the webs come out the rear end, which nobody ever else does, <laughs> but that's what spiders actually do, so... Uh, are, you a, are you a Venture Brothers fan, by chance? Uh, I have... I have... I missed... You know, once you try to get in that show late, you miss so much that I cannot comprehend it at the moment, but at some point I'm going to go back and start. <laughs> there, is a, there is a character voiced by Nathan Fillion called the Brown Recluse, I believe, <laughs> who um, does, in fact use webs out of his rear end as they would. And of course it's Nathan Fillion, because Nathan Fillion is the Dreamcast for everybody. (laughs) Yes, so I think in everybody's universe, Nathan Fillion is Spider-Man and Green Lantern and Superman. And Um, Nathan Fillion. Yeah, so of course he is in mine as well. (laughs) Just, there there is no Adam Baldwin in my universe. I'll just make that clarification. (laughs) Got it. I'm trying to think of that show he's on because it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you Spider-Man. never have to think about it again then. Okay. Oh, uh, I mean, I, I when I think of the Spider-Man character, the one that comes to mind is actually the what do you do with the young Spider-Man? It's the Peter Parker of the Ultimate Universe. All right. Mm, um, yeah. And anyone older than that, probably McGuire. All right. I like it. Boring answer, but uh yeah, fair, fair. Answer is answer. Fair enough. Yeah. Got a question you for you guys. Yep. If you guys have to name a dog in a movie, what do you give uh the name of, of? That was a weird question for me. What would you name your dog? Yeah, what you, what do you, <laughs> yeah, you know. Boris is uh it's it's he's there all the time and, and you know, they see they say his name takes a dump everywhere, but uh Boris, I was like, hmm. Must be definitely Alfonso Cuarón's dog from back in the day. Certainly fed a lot, that's for sure. I don't think that's a yeah. problem for. Him. Um, I think I it depends which uh, character's dog it is. You know, if it's like a legally blonde type character, I would call the dog like Delilah. But if it's like a hitman, is it's got to be Zeus. Zeus, <laughs> I like it. 
I um I'm cur- just to to provide some context for this. I'm currently playing Red Dead Redemption Two, mm-hmm. and I have you have your own horse in the game, and I've chosen the name of the horse Bruce after the shark in Jaws, mainly because it was one of those situations where I'm like, what do I name my horse? And I just like look around my room to see like what makes sense, and then I saw the Jaws poster. I'm like, oh Bruce, that's a good name. So I'm gonna go with Bruce. That's a good name. I think so. Kudos for not going with Horsey McCorse face, because I'm sure like a million people have. <laughs> I miss that in like Legend of Zelda when you would choose your name and then it would like autofill like whenever the text requires Zelda to say your name and it just be like whatever you whatever stupid thing you chose as a you know an eight year old playing Legend of Zelda. <laughs> anyway, Scott likes cats, so he doesn't like this question at all. So that's, that's where we're at. <laughs> I like cats too. I got one right here by my feet, in fact. There you go. But she's being very quiet. Yeah, but you don't go out of your way to point it out every single chance you can, like Scott does. <laughs> <laughs> it's a running joke. <laughs> well, with all that said, that's how you play. No, everybody. everybody. That was good. That was a good second one. There you go. Use take two. Um, let's let's move on. <laughs> let's get down to quickies. Tim. Each we can now we move with the other about this week. That's all we can do that is trademark. Threw that in there. Threw that fast. Fast and loose, I would say. <laughs> Are um, we still on Million Dollar Arm? Yeah, we're, still, we're, we're never off Million <laughs> Dollar Arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One day Ham's gonna, Hambone's going to send us those t-shirts, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Hambone. Hambone. Um, I'm aware that this is the first of two weeks where many, many movies are arriving in theaters, because why not, I guess mm-hmm. is what Hollywood said. And so, uh, I, uh, this segment of Out Now Quickies is gonna go, yeah. I think, a little bit longer, uh, than we do in normal weeks. So let's start with Abe, cause you've presumably seen the least amount of movies. What other movies have you seen this week? I finished watching Burning, which is the, uh, the South Korean film that we talked about last week, and I know that, uh, friend of the show and listener, uh, avid listener, Mark Hoban was curious my thoughts. Mark, it's aight. I mean, I think that there's a lot of great, good tension, and, and it kinda l- does leave a lingering thought in your mind, but as far as, a movie goes, it's, uh, like what Aaron and I sort of talked about, it's very metaphorical. And because it's very metaphorical, sometimes things are very much on the nose. Um, so with all that being said, though, it was, uh, I think it's good. It's definitely worth a watch if you have some, I guess if you have two hours and 30 minutes to, to spare. But um, <laughs> the other thing that uh, I was uh, not aware of was that I had rented Death of Stalin, like, a month ago, and it finally expired, and I was like, damn it! I did not watch Death of Stalin, so there goes the nine cents on Amazon Prime. <laughs> well, that's a shame because it's great. <laughs> that's um, what heard. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know Fred Marco, in front of the show. He is a he has pretty much the same feeling of you do, I think, of burning. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah. So you guys are just continuing to be like best friends. So there we go. <laughs> good on you guys for that. I, we brought it yeah because it was Terrence Johnson. It's currently his favorite movie of the year, unless something changed in mm-hmm. the last two weeks. Um, but yeah. Burning. All right. Well, I'm glad you finished it. Yeah. Luke, you saw Burning, didn't you? I did. Um, like a lot of you guys, I've been, you know, cramming with screeners because we had our awards voting like you guys, I'm sure, did recently as well. And uh, yeah, um, L.A. Film Critics Association gave Burning a lot of awards that, frankly, I'm a little mystified by because to me it feels like, you know, Park Chan-wook super light. Hmm. And it's like, okay, Steven Yen is an actor in these kinds of movies that we all know very well because he's on The Walking Dead. But aside from that, is this really that special? I don't know. It did, it, it's okay. It's slow. 
I don't have a problem with it. I'm just surprised that it's sort of in our group was like the number two best movie of the year after Roma. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little mystified <laughs> by that, honestly. But then, to be fair, in high school English, I was mystified by Faulkner's short story, Barn Burning, to begin with. <laughs> I didn't understand the appeal even then. Uh, but I was, you know, a dumb teenager, so I probably appreciate <laughs> it better now. Well, with that in mind, what other movies have you seen recently? Um, the kindergarten teacher was one I caught up on recently that I really, really liked. I thought, you know, it's been a while since I've seen an old style sort of Neil Labutish movie where the director just refuses to judge the characters in a way that forces you to judge them. And I really like that because it's such an awkward situation that this movie creates and there's no really good way out of it. Uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? I caught up with, which I think is wonderful, and I would love to see get a ton of awards. I think Richard E. Grant's a male lead in it. I don't think he's supporting, but uh, whatever. Hmm. Uh, The new Nicole Holliff Center, well, not new, who knew anymore, Land of Steady Habits, I think is a great one to catch up on. I sort of, I feel like with her films, the way I think people used to feel about the annual Woody Allen film, they're all sort of consistently enjoyable to me. Every once in a while, there's one that's super exceptional, but I generally just sort of look forward to them low-key and enjoy them. And I'm trying to think what else. Uh, Burning was like the last one that I crammed in right before the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, I saw Bumblebee, but you, that, was a pre- that was a National Seek preview, and we're not talking about t- that till next <laughs> week, but it's good. All right. Well, Scott, yeah, yeah. how about you? What have you seen recently? Uh, Bumblebee, Aquaman. Um, other than that, I didn't see a ton this week. What did we watch this week? Um, I thought Nicole Kidman was excellent destroyer, but the movie didn't do much for me. Um, Agreed. Yeah, it, it felt like, you know, relatively sparse, straight-to-video cop drama. Hmm. I think the direction's stronger than that, though. For a different, oh, well-directed, straight-to-video cop drama. Um, I, uh... God, I, I really... I mean, I saw it a while ago, but I really like the kindergarten teacher as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and without naming names, what's the point of that? I was very annoyed at some of the critical discourse that surrounded that movie. We're basically accused it of being the very thing it was critiquing because it didn't have a character to sit there and expl- you know, explain why what she was doing was wrong. Oh, um, God. Yeah, that's a weird <laughs> yeah, way to look at because I've seen the film also and I certainly, yeah. I can understand the off, like Luke, you mentioned, the awkwardness of the movie because it is, like given the scenario being presented yeah. to you. And I, I did appreciate it as much as I, like I was I would say I was lukewarm. I, I liked the movie overall, but it's certainly like it gives you a different feeling, but it's because, yeah, it's it's not it's not it's straying from the norm as far as uh, a need to, you know, dumb down the messaging going on or what have you to 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 tell you exactly what you're supposed to think. Instead, it's just like here's this thing, you can yeah. feel a way about it, and you're probably not wrong. <laughs> like, so. Yeah, um, interesting. Not just you can't feel a way, but you must feel you must feel something. We're forcing you to make the judgment. I feel like the movie really is pushing you, the viewer to do a little work in that respect. That's going to come back later when a movie that I saw that I think also has people split down the middle on. But uh, keep going, Scott. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago, but I saw Anna the, Ap- Anna the Apocalypse, which I liked quite a bit. Um, I assume it will be a cult favorite in a few years, and that's was probably always its fate. I mean, it, it, it wasn't terribly well marketed. I, I They wouldn't even give me a screener. I, I'm trying to help you here. I mean, I don't mind driving down to Arclight, but I don't want to. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's it, it, it's a delightful little zombie Christmas musical. Um, you know, I, it's a you know, there's a little bit of you know the Buffy What's More with Feeling episode. There's a bit of High School Musical, and there's a bit of you know, it's a it's a genuine zombie movie. Um, it's not gonna set the world on fire, but the songs are catchy as hell, and I liked it quite a bit. If it's not gonna set the world on fire, then we got a zombie problem worried about. <laughs> um, We're just gonna debate whether it's a Christmas movie for twenty more years. <laughs> what was that? Oh yeah. We're gonna. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I Are you sure it was, was a like Christmas 15, movie? <laughs> I should have sworn this was seven like fifteen years ago. By the way. Yeah, but the the Twitter wasn't as big of a thing back then, Scott. So everyone has an opinion <laughs> now. <laughs> it sort of like roared back a couple years ago. It's like, didn't we already settle this? And if not, who cares? Anyway. The big sites to get those clicks. Uh, I actually almost clicks, Scott. I almost did a post about it for tomorrow, but I just couldn't do it. This, you know, <laughs> it is, what is the idea that you know, one way where it is a Christmas movie is that it's a rare action movie that's actually made less significantly less overseas than it did in North America, which is something that most applies to most Christmas movies. Um, but I couldn't. It just I don't feel you know, it, it's it's a tweet that I can't build an entire article out of. Well, and the main, the main thing to keep in mind in all of this too is, you know, movies can only be one thing ever. I think that's that's that's, 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 yeah, that's how things true. work. I believe yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, There's no such thing as action comedies. That's mm-hmm. for damn sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. So no, that that's basically, you know, it it was a slow week for me. All right. Well, I mean, it well, sounds like a lot of movies though. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen not a slow week for Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a few things that I want to make mention to. One, which I know, Scott, you saw, Mortal Engines, uh, which also came oh, out yes, this week. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, oh. This is the, the movie we talked about a year ago, as far as trailers go. Uh, <laughs> much like Spider-Man Spider-Verse, actually. Um, as far as, I want to see what that looks like, and now it's a year later, and I know what that looks like. And <laughs> it looks great! <laughs> like The movie, on a visual level, I, I love the idea of a movie that just says, what if this but bigger mm-hmm. and it does deliver on that like it is a big movie as far as seeing giant cities on wheels traveling the globe and like getting it and what have you and it's a big old adventure movie and it's just a shame that the story is just kind of okay like i wish there was more that felt unique about it which might also come down to the director um uh it's a christian rivers um who you yeah. know, it's his debut film. He's worked with Peter Jackson since Dead Alive, since Brain Dead. Um, like, this is his, you know, first chance to shine. And it just kind of, like, it doesn't have enough, like, cinematic personality, I think, to make it either weirder or more kind of memorable beyond the giant visuals. But in terms of scope, like, Weta Digital, once again, does amazing stuff here. I, the cast is fine. Like, yeah, it's just kind of like, it's an okay, good enough movie to want to see on a big screen, just nothing all that special given everything around it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I enjoyed it. It reminded me, you know, intentionally, I'm sure, in the first Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not quite as good. But, <laughs> and yeah, it, it's a good movie that's surrounded by bigger and better movies. And that's a shame. Yeah. You know, that I, said, it does end... Like the story it's telling, which I like yeah, obviously there's like Star Wars. For, there's, yeah, there's room for more if they wanted to, but like you're yeah. not left it's not it doesn't end like Aragon where John Malkovich finally gets up from his chair. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, Aragon. <laughs> so, you do but, a commentary yeah. for that one these days. 
So yeah, since this is like the last time anyone's going to talk about Mortal Engines, I just figured, why not talk about how it's pretty okay? <laughs> <laughs> Looks great, uh, story not good, got it. Yeah, I will mention this one, which I'm not sure if we'll do a bigger episode on, but if Beale Street Could Talk finally came out this week in limited release, yeah, um, I am a big it. fan of it. I watched it a second time this week. I, I think it's terrific. Um, it's wonderfully shot. I cannot stop listening to the score. It is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of things to praise about it, but again, um, I I think I, I if we have a chance to talk about it in like more depth, I'd be happy to welcome that conversation. So I'll just say it's very good. If you can find it, go see it. It's on four screens this weekend. Did pretty good for four screens, right, Scott? I it did. Did fifty five and change. Yeah. And I forgot. I actually watched that two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. I mean, it, it's it's everything and more. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, I I also saw it, but it didn't do really much for me at all. So. Yeah. I feel like wow. I feel like I feel like kind of a lone naysayer. I get why it does things for other people, but I just didn't really get into it. Hmm. Fair enough. Um, couple other things. I saw Ben is I saw Ben is back a while ago, but it came out last week, and I forgot to mention it. Ben is back um, with uh, Julie Roberts and Lucas Hedges, directed by Peter Hedges. Uh, some relation? No relation. And, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I it is. It is my preferred um, young Drug child movie? prodigy. It's my preferred young child prodigy actor's addiction drama uh-huh. uh, compared to Beautiful Boy. Um, I'll say my own jokes, Abe. You can do that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, Just trying to fill no, it in. I, there. I, I like this movie quite a bit. Uh, I, I can see where some criticism comes as far as where the plot goes based off where it starts, but it affected me. I was I was I was surprised how much it got to me as far as the story it was telling. Um, so yeah, I was, I was a fan of that one. And, um, uh, Vox Lux also came out like last week in the release, expanded this oh, week. Yeah. This seems to have polarized people. Natalie now, I'm Portman. not necessarily, su- I'm not necessarily surprised by that, but I, I, I'm on the side that really liked it. I, I thought this movie's kind of terrific, um, in a lot of ways. Um, I know, Scott, you weren't a fan, if I'm not mistaken. Shockingly. Right? And I went into it, you know, completely expecting to buy what it was selling. Um, very well acted. For me, it's one of those movies that I like what it's about a lot more than how it's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in my just saw it once opinion, it uses a lot of topical content for seasoning, but isn't really about any of that stuff. Hmm. I, I mean, I agree, but I think that's what I mean. It's purposeful. Yeah. I would say I don't think it's yeah, trying yeah. to offer any insight into what it's using as top its its topicality. It is a just a focused character drama that happens to have this larger than life figure on top of it. Like I, and I, I just, appre- I appreciated what it was doing. I was into the movie. I liked Brady Corbett's direction of it. Cause it's just, it's never, <laughs> it never stops as far as like him doing something weird with the camera or in, in the style or in just in the writing or in the performance. There's always like something just kind of outlandish or outrageous going on throughout the movie. And I, I, <laughs> I was just really into it the whole time. And I think the, the song, like Natalie, Natalie Portman and Raffi Cassidy, they play younger and older versions of themselves. And then Raffi Cassidy plays Natalie Portman's daughter in the second half, which is like, well, that's fun. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but it's like it, she plays like a pop singer and it's like, it, it, I was, I didn't know, I didn't know what this was going into it beyond like, there's these people in it. It involves, I guess, a pop star and we'll see where that goes. And yeah, there's some dark stuff in this movie. That's for sure. Mm. But I, I just, I guess, I guess I'm just curious to know where, cause I know there's some people that are just like way against it. Like they really hate this movie. 
yet can't seem to articulate exactly why. So I'm just I'm, I'm more curious as to what that is that really throws them away from it. Hmm. I have some clue. I have some guesses, I guess, based off some of like what you mentioned, Scott, the topic, the topics that are covered in the film, because there's, I guess, one way to look at it that's not favorable per se. But I don't know. I just I really dug what it was doing. I, I was you know, I was into the vibe of Voxlock quite a bit. So. No, I mean, Long it, film? It, it's, no, it's like, it's just it's under it's under two hours, I think, or it's like it's just on the note. Yeah, no, it's about 110, give or take. Yeah, it's just under two. Yeah, that's um, what I thought. I I like the first half more than the second half. Okay. Even though she's terrific, I mean, it's, it's fun to watch her, you know, play in that sandbox. But you know, for whatever reason, it's one of those situations where like the plot synopsis that you read ahead of time, like. Is slightly more interesting than what, for me at least, what the film ended up being. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's interesting. I like what it's trying to do. The songs are great. I'm sure I'll start, I'll be listening to the soundtrack for a while. Um, you know, it's a near miss for me, but I'm certainly not going to fault anyone that dug it more than I did. Yeah. I'll just throw dad's movie corner out there, by the way. He yes. was a big fan. He really oh. liked Vox Fox. <laughs> he dug it. He also saw, uh, he also saw Roma and he was a big fan of Roma as well. Uh, cool. but we'll get to, we'll get more on that movie later. Uh, the last thing I'll mention real quick, um, I saw what I think is the best, uh, theatrically released DC movie this week, um, <laughs> which of course is Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Um, Anna and I watched this this afternoon. And, uh, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a really fun, this is, so this is my first exposure to Teen Titans. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I haven't watched any of the cartoon, like the, is it Cartoon Network? Like the TV? Yeah. the animated series. Uh-huh. So like I I know next to nothing about the Teen Titans as far as this medium goes. So watching this movie it's like wow, yeah, there's a lot of irreverence and clever jokes going on here. And I was into it. It was, it was a lot of fun. I don't know, I had a good time watching it. There's it's more of a musical than I expected too. There's a lot of songs in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh I've been telling you guys for years. <laughs> <laughs> that is Literally true. Years. That is true. You you did put it uh, in your dark place. <laughs> The oh. villain's master plan in it is literally the DC streaming yeah. service. Like, That's what I saw the movie like a day after they announced the DC streaming service. Like, intentional? That's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, like, and there's a lot of really dark jokes in it, too. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> there's, you know, there's a time travel bit that's darker than anything in the Deadpool movies. Yeah, and it's a hilarious <laughs> montage. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, Teen Titans go to the movies. Probably shouldn't have done, probably should have done better at the theaters. I mean, I think it did That's about what it was expected yet. to do with the theaters. Pretty domestic, maybe. I don't know what it did worldwide. I haven't checked in a while. Yeah. Um, it did exactly what they were hoping it would do. Fifty, yeah. fifty-one worldwide. Yeah. Just, just to make it's it clear. Like it, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Just to make it clear, not my favorite DC movie of the year. That would be Batman Ninja. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> but um, moving forward, <laughs> that was on no quickies. Yeah. Let's uh let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk. We're talking about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, what we thought of it, what when it's coming out, what have you. This week we're talking Brightburn. This is a uh, new film from director David Yaravesky, who um, has worked with James Gunn on a number of properties. James Gunn, who is a producer on this film, and this one was written by Brian Gunn and Mark Gunn, which I assume there are a number of relations to. Um, <laughs> It, they are. I looked it, it up. They're brothers. I figured so. Yeah, I, I was pretty sure. I want to make sure. Um, it stars Elizabeth Banks and David Denman. Uh, Denham. And it, I guess, <laughs> based off this, it, it's uh, a kind of a what-if scenario 
where uh, a child from another world crash lands on Earth, and if things took a different sort of turn compared to other stories of a similar nature, babies crash land on Earth and may have superpowers. Um, with that in mind, Luke, what do you think of the uh, trailer for Brightburn? It, uh, well, it made me think of the Shyamalan superhero movies, Split and uh, Unbreakable, and of course the new one, Glass. Uh, knowing Yarvesky, I mean, I've seen The Hive, which I think is the only other one he's directed, which is over-the-top gory like a James Gunn movie. So I'm sort of thinking that this is a very subdued trailer, and when we actually see the movie, it'll go crazy over the top. But mm. I like the slow Shyamalan vibe of it so far. Uh, I I kind of hope it does stick with that, but we'll see. Scott, how about you? Oh, I loved it. I, I thought it was a terrific, terrific trailer. Partially because, I, you know, we didn't know it was coming. I mean, you know, I don't think there had been any word about what the movie was actually about prior to the trailer dropping last Saturday. Um, well, by the time it aired, two Saturdays ago. Um, and yeah, my only fear, and except this matters, is that, you know, the premise is such a great, primal, and arguably obvious premise that my only concern is that it's going to eventually turn into, you know, a stereotypical Bloomhouse movie where the entire third act is like three characters stuck in a closet. <laughs> um, but you know, again, we'll see. Um, but it's such a you know, it's it, it's one of those obvious ideas that I'm kind of shocked that they've never done it before. At least in movies, I'm sure there are comic books that have played with this concept. I mean, um, I would I would argue that Chronicle sort of presents you not exactly this scenario, but it certainly has. You could, you could probably play this this and that yeah. back and like a different me. take. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, that would probably be the closest thing, even though for me, I mean, I love I love this terrific picture. That almost feels more, you know, sort of Carrie-ish. Um, but whatever, that's splitting airs. Um, I, you know, obviously I love the trailer ripped on the Man of Steel campaign. Yes. Um, because for one thing, it's such a, that was such a good marketing campaign. I mean, it still gives me chills for what wasn't. Um, and it looks terrific, and it was, you know, it was, it was the, you know, it does exactly what marketing is supposed to do. It makes me incredibly excited about a movie that I had very little interest, knowledge of. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this day and age when trailers are announced, you know, weeks ahead of time and you have countdowns and, you know, frankly, of a, you know, at a studio level, there aren't that many projects that sort of sneak under the radar, even up to the trailer stage. It was really nice to be surprised. All right. Abe, how about you? Big fan of the trailer as well. Is uh, I like what Scott had mentioned there with the callback to um, Man of Steel type stuff with the lettering and also the way that they had, I guess, uh, had used some sort of flashes. But for the most part, what I really liked about it is I'm curious just how dark it can go. Because that last sequence there, pretty awesome. Just, you know, awesome in a sense of, wow, this kid has all these developed powers. And... He has the cape going, and he's he's killing people, or presumably killing people, and he's going after this woman in a uh, in a meat locker freezer at a restaurant. And I I was like, wow, I'm I'm kind of blown away by this. But as far as you know, the tone of all the gun productions have been, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some some you know wry commentary as well, uh, along with like some really dark humor. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I I really uh, was kind of. Super shocked by it, so much so that I had to retweet it. 
I will say, well, they, yeah, yeah. They worked uh, the nerd media very well on this because Sony leaked out that the Spider-Man trailer was going to go online that day. And uh, it didn't. They showed Which it at the Comic Con, and then it's yet to and then go they, online. <laughs> and then they put Brightburn up instead, so everyone wrote about Brightburn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but literally, it came out right when we were expecting the Spider-Man one. We were all ready to go and write up Spider-Man, and then this one comes. Boom. So they kind of they worked us a little bit, and uh, <laughs> it worked. I will say I didn't watch this trailer until like a couple days later, so I was like. Scott got me all excited for some kind of like crazy turn this thing was going to take. And I watched this trailer, and it takes its turn. That said, there's no trailer that has a greater turn than Spies in Disguise that I've seen this year. (laughs) (laughs) Spies in Disguise. There is no no world where you can watch Spies in Disguise and like not be impressed by where it goes based on where it starts. For sure, for sure. Like, I I can tell you, this movie's going to have a crazy turn, and you're not going to know what to think. And there's nothing you can dream up that will like that will that won't equal what I just told you. <laughs> like it's such a like extreme version of what that would be. <laughs> but yeah, this movie looks fine. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I agree with Luke actually. I I, I really dig the, the, I do think there's like kind of a at least from this trailer a Shyamalan vibe that I can get behind here. Will it deliver on that? I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Um, I like that it serves as it seems like it's a counter programming type movie. It comes out like Memorial Day weekend, so it's like, all right, this is coming out also, so we'll see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I tend to like Gunn's brand of things, even though he's only merely a producer compared to, I guess, his brothers as writers sure. and one of his, I guess, proteges. You would say <laughs> it's like a director. Um, but you know, we'll see. I there's there's a lot of good ingredients here. This premise is pretty cool. I like that he's already like the child's already like he's he develops like his own symbol like that's in the trailer yeah and, pre- and presented very ominously by having it repeat everywhere yeah uh, so um, yeah no there's a there's a lot there's a lot to like here as far as like a horror setup goes and I hope that further marketing is about as vague as this is as well to kind of keep be amped for what this could turn into so yeah uh, Brightburn opens in theaters May 24th 2019 so uh, we'll see. Did anyone else here see The Hive, by the way? I'm curious if I'm the only one. No, I haven't. Uh, I, not I want yet. to look into that now, yeah. Well, now. It's a very sort of low-budget zombie space, you know, infection kind of movie. But uh, it was Nerdist, briefly, was trying to produce movies, and it was Nerdist Presents The Hive. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's uh, that's how I got in to see that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll look out for it if I can find it. But yeah, we would talk about the Spider-Man trailer, but that hasn't appeared yet, so that's not happening. So instead, <laughs> we'll just get to our. We have read the descriptions, I suppose. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I guess he's not dead. I don't. He, understand he's far works, from home, apparently. Whatever. Yeah, I don't. There are elementals. This is <laughs> what I've heard. Ah, got it. Okay. But uh, anyway, let's get to our let's get to our first main review here for uh, Spider-Man: colon, Into the Spider-Verse. My name's Miles Morales. Hey, kid. You're like me. How? I knew my day would come around this time. I know it's complicated. You want to know what happened to you? I can teach you to be Spider-Man. I love this burger. So delicious. Mm. One of the best burgers I've ever had. You have money, right? I'm not very liquid right now. I think you're going to be a bad teacher. How am I supposed to save the whole world? 
You can't think about saving the world. You have to think about saving one person. One thing I know for sure, don't do it like me. Do it like you. Brooklyn! I see this spark in you. It's amazing. Hands up! Whatever you choose to do with it, you'll be great. I love you, Miles. Yeah, I know, Dad. You gotta say I love you back. Dad, are you serious? I wanna hear it. You wanna hear me say it? I love you, Dad. You're dropping me off out of school? I love you, Dad. Look at this place. Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. That's a copy. Time to swing, just like I taught you. When did you teach me that? I didn't. It's a little joke for team building. Hey, guys. Okay, who are you? I'm Gwen Stacy. Come on. How many more spider people are there? Save us at Comic-Con. What's coming? Let's go! That should have been some of the trailer for Spider-Man, colon, Into the Spider-Verse. Sony has been threatening to make a full-fledged Spider-Verse for years, it would seem, and now they've finally delivered by way of an animated film bringing together a variety of Spider-People. Into the Spider-Verse focuses on Miles Morales, a Brooklyn kid who gets bit by a radioactive spider, and soon witnesses the end of the current Spider-Man. Just as he discovers he has powers of his own, he learns of other Spider-People from other dimensions having entered into his own. Now he must balance his newfound abilities, the arrival of superheroes from other dimensions, and his family life in an attempt to keep New York from imploding on itself. Scott, I know you've recently written a list that ranked all the Spider-Man films. Where where did this film fall onto it, and uh, why? Objectively speaking, it's probably the best Spider-Man movie ever made. I mean, I still have nostalgia for the first one, but in terms of, you know, best versus favorite, it's my favorite Spider-Man since the first Spider-Man. Um, this is a dynamite piece of entertainment. Um, the animation is unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, it's this weird tie-dye hallucinogenic blend of 3D and 2D and, you know, comic book panels and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not the person to get, you know, you explain the technical of how they did it, and frankly, I don't care, you know, as long as everybody got paid. Um, and it, it, it's basically what Sony's been threatening, as you said, has been threatening to do for five or six years, and they just, just went and did it, uh, with animation, with using a, you know, Miles Morales instead of Peter Parker, which was a brilliant and, you know, a brilliant way to separate this from the other Spider-Man movies, and they have made a film that, you know, it's easily the best, you know, superhero animated, you know, comic book movie since Batman Match the Phantasm, only by default. Um, it's probably, you know, technically the best Spider-Man movie ever made, and what I like about it is that it's really three very good movies in one. You have the first act, which basically puts Miles Morales as sort of a bystander in something out of, you know, Alex Ross's Marvels, or that comic book that ran for about two years back in the day, uh, Tangled Web. Basically one that, that basically told Spider-Man stories from the point of view of bystanders, police officers, criminals, civilians, etc., etc. Um, the second act is basically a buddy comedy, a sort of a coming-of-age, very G-Wiz, Batman Beyond-type tale, where you have this new kid who gets spider powers, who's being mentored by an over-the-ill Peter Parker, 
from another dimension. It makes sense in the movie. Um, and then you have the third act, which just goes off kitchen sick crazy. And that's where you get a lot of the whole, you know, there's like five different spider people, the spider things, one's a pig. <laughs> um, Thank you for that, uh, you know, clarification. Yeah, which also makes sense in the movie. And, you know, it just, I was shocked at how good it was. Because they, it, you know, they almost made it look easy. And if every Spider-Man movie were this good, people wouldn't constantly be holding up Spider-Man as the franchise that sort of defines, oh God, Hollywood keeps making the same movie over and over again. Hmm. Um, and I've rambled for long enough. All right. Luke, with the limited knowledge I have of you, because uh, I'm not an expert on Luke Thompson as of yet, I haven't written the book, um, I will say... I I, <laughs> I I will say that I think you're you're one that appreciates the weird, uh you know kind of when it comes to movies you you appreciate things Absolutely. that kind of go that kind of go for it go a little gonzo or whatnot with their visuals or style or what have you. Uh, did uh did Spider Man into the Spider Verse satisfy your uh, craving for a kind of a weird superhero movie? Well, I will say this: um, when I hear everybody talk about it and write about it. I wish I saw the movie that I feel is being described. Um, it fell a little short for me. And I'll preface this by saying I was not in the best of moods when I saw it. I had had some bad news in the day, and I wound up sat- sitting behind uh, someone who was related to that bad news, which did not put me in the best frame of mind. But visuals are amazing. I'll give it that. Still, the script, though. Um, the script for me, with all the... It's a leap of faith. It's a leap of faith. Anyone can be a hero. Anyone can be a hero. Felt really more rote than it should have, and maybe because everything else was so weird, they felt they couldn't quite go as weird with the story. The Kingpin, I thought, was disappointing after seeing the great Kingpin on Daredevil, and the way he was caricatured, I was like, why is he the only human that's caricatured? Go with this. Make it weirder. Make other humans weirder if you're going to draw him that way. I, I mean, don't, I, I would say that falls into all the villains specific. Like all the villains are have like a kind of extraness to them. And I don't think we're characterizing Kingpin so much as a as a person as we are as a, a Spider-Man Rogue Gallery member. Doctor Doc Ock. I, I, I mean, I think by by virtue of what Doc Ock does as far as having the arms in it. But I mean, like things like Scorpion and Green Goblin and what have you. I think they all yes. fit a vibe. Sure. <laughs> you had you had some monster ones, definitely. I Sorry, I, I didn't I, mean to interrupt you. I, 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 I no, 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 no worries at all. I mean, I, you know, I grew up twenty years ago with Eon Flux and the Max, which I think are sort of ground these groundbreaking, almost perfect bits of superhero animation, if you can call them that. And I feel like Into the Spider Verse is nearly catching up with stuff that the Max was doing twenty years ago. And granted, it's TV versus movies, but. I wanted it to go a little further. It felt a bit like we want to do the Lego Spider-Man movie, but we don't have access to Lego. We do, however, have access to the people who did the Lego movie, so let's try to do our own version that doesn't actually have Lego in it. Uh, I'm not saying it's bad, and I wish the press screen had been in 3D, because I think the vi- experiencing the visuals that way will be quite a trip. Agreed. But I wish for a story that didn't, have to hit those marks so much and nail the message. Be like, leap of faith, leap of faith, leap of faith. I was just, I wanted to say, you know, we get it already. I get that it's a leap of faith. We know what Spider-Man is. You made this movie on the presumption that we know what Spider-Man is. I, I don't know. The, 
I'm I'm very I I don't want to say I'm a naysayer on this because I enjoyed it, but I wish it were more. I wish it were more, and I wish there were more animated competition this year. Fair enough. Abe, where are you at with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, uh, I remember watching Homecoming, and I was like, oh, this is a really good Peter Parker movie, and it's a really good Spider-Man movie, and then I watched this movie, and I was like, no, this is a really good Spider-Man movie. This is actually not just a really good Spider-Man movie, it's actually one of like the best movies of the year. Um, it's really, really well done in the capacity of the animation and art, sure. But I think as a storyline goes, and Luke, I, I get what you're saying too, because that part maybe tripped me up because, you know, Miles Morales has been bitten by a radioactive spider. It's not as though he's just like a kid who witnessed uh, Peter Parker fighting and then all of a sudden decide to don a mask type thing. But at the same time, it's weird that a story with so many interconnected storylines actually kind of works with this because you, you we've seen movies where we have... Um, timeline crossovers and typically that that works okay in some instances and typically that means animation in drawings right whereas in movies it kind of gets a little bit clunky at times um, and in this one I thought that it worked out really really well there was actually some really nice uh, moments of them kind of coming to realize that Miles Morales isn't ready and also there's some really dark scenes in which people are dying so there's a realness to it and what I like about it all is that they didn't have to recap all of the Spider-Man, Peter Parker, Gwen Stacy, etc. Everyone knows uh, the, I guess, the essential backstory of it. But what I liked about it is that Spider-Man, they, I guess maybe finally some people realize uh, that Spider-Man is a sad character. And what I mean by that is that in every universe in which he or she exists, a Spider-Person exists, there is always a triggering event, just the same way that it happens with, I guess, uh, Batman. Um, but especially with Spider Ham, the most dramatic of Spider characters. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you read the backstory on that guy, that that's hilarious. I think he was like he's a he's a spider bitten by a radioactive pig, right? So yeah, it, it's pretty great. But um, I thought that this movie, for everything that it was, um, and I was thinking that it was going to be light or lights and action and and you know a lot of sound effects and whatever else, but the story was pretty amazing. I, I, no pun intended. I think that there was actually some really cool, like what Scott had mentioned. There's three breakdowns of the movie, but even in that first breakdown, I was pretty shocked by how they didn't go through some normal twists and turns of, okay, cool. Now let's train you on stuff. It's like Peter Parker doesn't give a shit about this guy. He just like, <laughs> like, all right, great. I'm just gonna be here, and I guess uh, I'm gonna just uh, try and get out of here as fast as I can because. I know that you might be the spider person in this universe, but you're just not ready, man. And so I can't rely on you. I'm just going to do everything for me. And I thought that was great. You know, there, there's no real sense of like camaraderie until much later when things have to come to a, a head. But um, I agree with Scott, too, that the animation, I was blown away by it. I think that there was like, some really cool. I mean, we, Aaron and I just talked about this a couple weeks ago when, we, when there was a question asked of, of where movies can go or what they can do. And I mentioned anime specifically, but... Um, cartoon animations are also really, really good too, because they can present everything that you can imagine in a much, much neater way than, you know, a live action movie can. Not to say that live action movies aren't great, are not great, but, um, this can really go on, on, um, some ways in which you never really thought of before. So I liked when they were actually just walking in the Brooklyn neighborhood as Spider-Man and Miles Morales just, and the camera just goes 1960s Batman style. Um, so there's really some clever stuff and I'm not going to lie, dude, 
there was a there's there was a point in which Peter Parker with just one eye being shown, blue blue eyed Peter Parker just asking Miles Morales to promise him something. And I was like, there's a lot of weird like emoting going on from this cartoon eye that I'm looking at right now. So on the whole, blown away by it. I definitely want to see it again. You guys mentioned three D. I was curious about maybe watching it in IMAX, but um yeah, I, I think that this is actually one of the, the best moves of the year in terms of story and also in terms of um how it quickly got from like A to B. I um I'm very happy that you're so enthusiastic about this movie, for one thing, because it's, it's the kind of thing where I'm like, is Abe going to like this as much as I do? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> we, we seem to like a lot of the same things. I know. We do a podcast. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I will say, I like this movie so much that I feel bad that Luke didn't like it as much as we did. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> we, we need to, we need to like, go back in time and get him in the right mind experience of this movie, because like, I wish that he would be like on board. Now, of course. Your, your your opinion matters to me, and I'm curious to go into the more while we kind of get Same. to a further discussion. But I will say, from my perspective, I loved this movie. I this is I, I think this is the Spider-Man least affected by Spider-Man's greatest nemesis, Avi Arad, the producer, um, and that's a great thing to me. It doesn't feel compromised in any way where it needs to shove in things because Avi Arad wants to sell more toys. It just feels like a movie that's doing entirely its own thing, and it's very aware that it's doing its own thing. It knows that everybody knows the other Spider-Man movies, and it acknowledges that very quickly and keeps going and doesn't stop. And it has so much going on visually that I can't comp- I can't like imagine the kind of work that was needed to do this, but it came out so well. I, I read that it's like the most the most like crew ever from Sony Pictures Animation to make a movie, and that's not surprising given all the things that are taking place here. The, the just the like little dots on all the characters to make it look like it's comic book pages actually coming to life is so impressive to me. Like just everything about it visually, and then you have this story, and like I guess I shouldn't have not expected this since you have Phil Lord and Chris Miller very much involved in this thing. Phil Lord being one of the co-writers, but like. It works as this like deconstruction of superhero movies as well as an entry into it, which is always my favorite kind of thing. When you can take the genre, acknowledge what you're doing, have fun with that, but also tell an emotional story still. And you're doing that all with not even Peter Parker, but Miles Morales. So now I'm sitting here thinking, I'm, li- I'm liking what I'm looking at, I'm digging into the emotions of this thing, and I'm seeing a spider character that is... It's not, he's not someone that looks like Peter Parker. He's someone that looks like me. And that's so special. And it's going to be so special to other kids that are much younger and much, much more mature than I am that can appreciate something like that and grow up knowing that not only can you get a movie about Miles Morales and Peter Parker in the, at the same time, you can get one that doesn't need to like go into like, the fact that he is a mixed race Spider-Man, you get a Spider-Man that just exists for who he is and you have his family life and that's included in there. And it has an impact as well based off of perhaps the fact that they're of a certain kind, you know, a certain type, but it doesn't play into the movie. The movie's not trying to make strides of messaging as far as who these characters are. They just exist. They live in Brooklyn. That's what they are. They're New Yorkers, just like everybody else, just like Peter Parker from Queens and all their pair. Like it's, it's so neat to see that being delivered upon without making a giant deal out of it. It doesn't need to justify it, because it doesn't have to. And, and on top of that, you get exciting action sequences, and a great score, and soundtrack. Like, all these things just came together. And so, yeah, I loved this movie. This is, like, next to Spider-Man 2, which is my favorite Spider-Man movie. This is just, like, right there as far as delivering on every aspect of what I want in a Spider-Man film. 
I will say one thing I th- I liked about the script that I felt they didn't overplay and did nicely subtly is the way they parallel the idea of a secret identity with the way Miles presents himself differently when he's with different crowds, when he's mm-hmm. with the fancy school people, when he's with people on the street, when he's with his parents, the fact that he sort of shifts who he is and the way that parallels with having a secret identity as Spider-Man, I think was very nicely handled and they didn't feel the need to have a character stand up and explain that or have him say, I can do this because I code shift all the time anyway. Or, you know. it, yeah, it's, it's not quite, the, it's not quite the hate you give of Spider-Man movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Luke, I, I do want to get to your point about uh, the, I guess why, you know, um, what's his face, man, Carlton Fisk, Wilson Fisk, uh, Kingpin. Kingpin, yeah. thank you, licks the way he is. And I kind of have the same opinion of, of Aaron, which is, well, the villains look that way. Everyone else looks pretty normal. However, it's Spider-Man's rogue gallery that looks different, because I was exactly going to bring up the same example that Aaron did of, of Scorpion. You know, that guy doesn't look normal at all. He's got, like... <laughs> I, I, I also, I liked... But we'll get to the vocals, because I think sure. the entire voice cast is very good here, but I like Lee Schreiber's, like, very Brooklyn take on Kingpin. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very... Uh, he's got the accent, for sure, but um, yeah, I mean, it, when I first saw Kingpin, I was like, this guy looks weird, but then I was like, no, Kingpin's a huge dude, so... there's. There's a bit that made me laugh that I know Anna noticed as well when we were watching it, where King, like Kingpin's in a limo and then just cuts to him being outside of the limo. It's like, how did he get outside? Like, <laughs> did you notice like a small little shift in the limo too when when he like gets out? Yeah, he's, like, he's shifting. It was like, wait a minute. Yeah, but I it's also... like it's like a scene where like R two D two runs out of runway and but the next scene he's just like up the stairs. Like, wait a minute, how did this happen? <laughs> Teleportation. Um, the other thing I liked about it is that they they gave just enough for you to kind of understand Kingpin's motivations in this movie yeah, at least. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't a lot, but at the same time, it was. I guess in other movies. I liked Homecoming a lot, but I, I, they did have to have the opening scene give it to Michael Keaton's character, right? And it's like, oh, hey, by I'm the way. I'm just a blue collar guy trying to clean up some buildings right, around yeah. here. What's going on? And in this one, they kind of just like, were like, hey, by the way, this is the reason why he's doing it. And it's a legit reason, you know? So it's, it's, it was, it was actually a, uh, enough of a backstory of a villain for me to be I, like, I get I'll it. say this to Luke's point. I only felt more for Kingpin because I watched Daredevil and know that he has like a, a like a significant other yeah. on yeah. the show. So it's like, oh, I know that he has like a Vanessa in his life because I learned that on Daredevil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Marvel um, TV Universe. But I think to a certain extent that we banked on that knowledge because it doesn't really stop to explain who Vanessa is. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, and you know, I I agree with Luke in that <laughs> with respect to the rest of the vocal cast. It's not my favorite Leaf Schreiber performance. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, I would say it's my favorite Leaf Schreiber yeah. performance. I think I still think he's um, good at it. It took me a while to get used to such, for me anyway, a somewhat cartoonish kingpin. And I know I'm talking about a cartoon, but so bear with me. In a movie where uh, he looks like a giant freight train with legs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I missed the subtlety of Michael Clark Duncan. Uh, <laughs> Something I have not heard a lot I'm of. From, yeah. I'm from the Bronx, Wesley. <laughs> this is how we do things here. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys about uh, the voice cast in general here. I mean, we've got tons of people here, and quite honestly, I couldn't put my finger on Wilson Fisk until afterward. But then oh, I, was, yeah, I, I didn't realize it either. It's like, oh, that was Lee. Yeah, and I was like, oh, he was in the movie. Well, I was in the credits, and the other one that I, I was proud that I finally got it, but I wasn't sure was Peter Parker, not Peter B. Parker, but just Peter Parker in the first, first like... Peter Parker. Yeah. 
And I was like, I don't know who this is, but it's fitting pretty well. And I was like, oh, I think I know who it is now. So it's, it, was, it was a cool thing. But what did you guys think of the wanna, entire voice cast? Not to reveal who the first Spider-Man we meet is, but I will say, this is why he ranks high among people with that name. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I agree. He and another one are two of like, my two favorites. Actually, there's a, nice, like, there's a nice, like, tie for three. Sure. I, I think Jake Johnson is kind of amazing in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah. the amount of depth that he brings to this Peter B. Parker character. Like, there's, there's a lot of, like, there's, I mean, the, the nature of his character being this over the hill Spider-Man and kind of, you know, knowing Jake Johnson type characters, like, there's a lot here <laughs> that I really appreciate. I would like to see more middle-aged Peter Parker. I mean, when Same I... here. About 20 years ago, when I used to work at a place which we get the daily paper, I'd read the newspaper Spider-Man strips. He was grown up and he was married to MJ, and I, I'm not sure they're ever going to go there in the movies, because they like having him as a teenager too much, but I, I do want to see more of that at some point. Here's a fun tangent. When I was younger... Um, around this, this during the same time that you were reading the news strips, when I was um, my dad and I before I would go to Hebrew school on uh, Mondays, we would stop at uh, we would stop at a, a Kmart um, where they had like a it was like a big Kmart, so they had uh, like a bakery there, and I would practice my Hebrew, and then after that we'd read the comics in the paper before I got dropped off at Hebrew school, <laughs> and I would read the Spider Man comics. That's how I was very familiar beyond like the the Fox cartoon show i would also read and beyond like basic comic books i would also read the new strip spider-man and that's like a that's a version i always knew and i'm like i always thought like huh there's this is before i could comprehend the idea that there was so many different kinds of spider-man out there i'm thinking oh it's weird that like there's this adult version of spider-man that i never really get to see outside these like three strip panels yeah that come across in a newspaper every so often um well i was you know i i'm like you i got most of my spider-man trivia from the 90s uh, fox show Mm-hmm. Where everybody talked at like double speed for no particular reason that always amused me. And Hobgoblin um, was this like giant mystery. It's like, who is this Hobgoblin? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of Joker is this? <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, um, when I was reading the comics, and I was never religiously into Spider Man, but I, I, I get him from the library or whatever. And it, for me, it was like right before the whole one day more arc where they basically undid his marriage and sent him back to high school. Hmm. Um, he basically had to make a deal with the devil to save Aunt May's life after unmasking himself in Civil War. Um, <laughs> and it's about as stupid as it sounds. Um, <laughs> that Mark Millar really, really threw a wrench in things. <laughs> um, but, so yeah, for me, my comic book history was mostly when he was an adult. He and MJ were married. He was a science teacher. So, yeah, I would like to see that explored more. And, you know, say what you will about, you know, Spider-Man 4 becoming the Amazing Spider-Man. I do miss the idea that that fourth film probably would have been Peter Parker as an adult. Interesting. And that would have been something very different. Yeah, that definitely yeah, would have been a take on it. Because, like what we talked about and what we've established for a lot of Spider-Man films... He's in high school for about ten minutes, and then he's in uh, NYU or some some college for the rest of the movie. And he's 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 college Peter, right? So it's never actually maybe Spider Man two where he's got the pizza delivery job, um, and maybe trying to struggle a little bit. Is he still in college there? He's in college. He's in college, yeah. Okay, because he's because yeah. uh, he's in Doctor Kirk Connors' class all the time. Oh, uh, that's like, right. Yeah. So. And then he he gets up. 
there's we don't need to talk about that. Everybody knows. No, no. Um, <laughs> Do you all remember say, the MTV Spider-Man? Yes, yeah, like Back it was a 3D okay. CG animation Spider-Man. Yeah, what? it was sort of the Spider-Verse of its day, not with what? the parallel dimensions, but in terms of going kind of crazy with the animation. I think yeah. Rob Zombie was the voice of the lizard. and oh, what? Electro- it was the first one where Electro was like a crazy blue-skinned character rather than the green and yellow lightning costume. You mean Spider-Man. Jamie Foxx? <laughs> yeah. Who's Spider- <laughs> Who is Spider-Man? Is it- it's not Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris, Harris yeah. is Spider-Man. Really? Okay. Oh, All right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You know, I remember that show. Yeah, that was like- that was like- that was high school, Peter. Still, right? Wasn't that the? Yeah, it was a direct sequel like to the he Randy had problem. a job in it, and that like the job was where all you know it was maybe not at Oscorp, but someplace like that. And then he had a romance with one of his coworkers, and uh, I don't know. It's been a while. But quick question for you, Aaron. Uh, in in uh, the Spider-Man PS4 game, is he is he college, Peter? No, he's a uh, he's an adult Spider-Man in the okay. PS4 game. Like he's like he's a Spider-Man that's been doing it for like nearly a decade. And there's been ups and downs in his relationship with with Mary Jane. Yeah, yeah he's a seasoned Spider-Man. Got it. It's, okay. a, it's, a, it's a good story. Anyway, we should talk more about this movie. No, no, for sure. Um, <laughs> I, wa- I just quickly want to shout out uh, Spider-Man Noir and, and Spider-Ham. I love I, everyone's doing a great voice here. Nick but Cage doing like Cagney is hilarious. And, and just like it fits so well for that Spider-Man Noir. And then John Mulaney also just, you know, regular yeah, regular uh, old voice John Mulaney doing Spider Ham is terrific. But yeah, there, there's a lot of fun I think they're having with the uh, with the different Spider people from the different universes. Yeah. But as far as the you know, in addition to them, you have this great cast as his family. I mean, I think Shamik Moore makes a great Miles Morales. Same. I think he's terrific here. But you have Mahershal Ali and Brian Tyree Henry. Like they're just like guys. <laughs> let's just bring these like, in here and see what what these like terrific actors can do. And they nail it. They knock it out of the park for me. I they think do. Brian Tyree Henry it, as his dad is so <laughs> is so wonderful in like these like little moments that he has where he's just trying to connect to his son. And then you have Mahershala Ali who's like in this conflicted zone given things that per- take pertain to his character as Aaron. It, it David, took me but. a second to figure out uh, the voice acting on Uncle Aaron as well because I thought maybe they're gonna have Donald Glover do it uh, just because. Uh, homecoming, yep. but I was like, it'd be oh, too no. meta. <laughs> yeah, it'd be too meta. That's their meta limit, apparently. <laughs> Bringing back Donald Glover. <laughs> but yeah, no, great voice acting from uh, from from uh, those two actors as well. But um, and uh, and Lily Tomlin's great as as as, as, Aunt, as May. Uh, Aunt May. Yeah, <laughs> kick ass Aunt May. Yeah, <laughs> I'd watch that spinoff. Yeah, same here. And what's um, it Luna, might happen Luna, now? Luna Lauren, Luna Lauren uh, Velez, who's I guess I know best from like Dexter. Um, she's, oh, uh, is that she's, who that is? Okay. Yeah, and I can uh, New York Undercover way back in the day. Um, Haley Stanfield as Gwen Stacy, Spider Woman. Not bad, but um, I want to ask you guys about the animation here. If you guys were you guys, I guess, blown away as Scott and I were by the the type of animation that they would pursue in this type of animation. I mean, you guys have seen DC movies before, and you guys have seen Animatrix, and you guys have seen tons of other stuff before. But is this something that was surprising in any way oh for me i'm i'm I'm, yeah. agree- I mean, I'm in agreement with you guys i mean okay. i think it's it's such a it's such a unique and i said i was thinking this when we saw like the first trailer which just when you see like spider-man like on the street hits off yeah. against that cab and it like bounces to like a completely yellow environment yeah, it's like, like how on it or whatever right. yeah it's and like just the and i've been reading so much about the animation work done for this movie because i'm so fascinated by it and it's like they was it all animation or, or no, no rotoscope right there's no rotoscope. Yeah, there's no rotoscope. Okay. There's just there's just a, a lot of different techniques they use to make this happen. 
And one of the best things I read from, I think, Lord and Miller, they were talking about how, like, they read a lot of movie art books and they always wish they could see a movie that looked like the, that art as mm-hmm. opposed to, like, the finished product. And it's like, that's what they basically set out to deliver. Nice. And that's what this does look like. This looks like if you got an art book and you saw, like, every, all of that actually come to life, like, what it looked like in those early stages. But it's done in a way that feels so fresh. And I get, Luke, I, I can understand what you're saying. Yes, there's like a, there's, what's that, liquid television period back within the yeah. old TV days where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of unique voices coming out there that are throwing different kinds of animation that you're not used to seeing. And I would have loved to have seen that be embraced more than coming up to now. But if I'm getting it now in some version, I'm happy with that because I was so satisfied by what this movie delivered. Well, also, I was at a Sony animation panel a couple of years ago when they first announced Miles Morales was going to be the main character, and they showed a little clip, mm-hmm. and it was rough. It was rougher than this. It was sort of more graffiti-ish style, mm-hmm. and it's like I sort of wanted the whole movie to be that. They have polished it a bit from what they showed then, and it was that was so mind-blowing. I was like, man, a whole movie like this is going to be crazy. It, the whole movie's not like that. That's you know That was sort of like the climactic sequence with the alternate realities. That was kind of like what I saw then, but then the movie calms down, and maybe you couldn't take a whole movie like that. I don't well, know. Yeah, but, I, I, uh, I think it comes down to preparing an audience for something like that, and sure. given that this is... That's that's a, that's a fair it, point, and I will... I, I am going to give this movie another shot. I don't hate it. I just don't... It, I just don't adore it the way other people do. I think it's... I think it's solid, and I like a lot of the things it's doing, so I'm going to certainly give it another chance when it comes on 4K or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, and, there's no shame in, you know, a three-star review. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is about what, yeah, that's about what I'd call it. Yeah, and I, I, I certainly, none of us look down on you, nor, nor should we. <laughs> yeah. We're like not, not liking this much. But that's why I also wanted to you to be on here. Because I, because of the such unanimous praise there seems to be for this movie, uh, beyond like, you know, three of the oldest people writing on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I want I to hear some kind of, di- you know, diversions from the, the praise here. Because it's like, norms? what's yeah, not yeah. to like? <laughs> We're all allegiance. Yeah, exactly. We're we're all getting that Sony Marvel money. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, Luke, I want to ask you about it. So, is what did you, was it the storyline that also wasn't jiving with you as well? I mean, um, uh, the storyline itself yeah, is time okay. The, scri- uh, the script, the script, I felt was a little clunky with the way it felt like it had to hit its key phrases for the, the sake of the marketing, basically, and the sake of. Let's make sure the kids get the moral lesson. Maybe it didn't test so well with parents and test screenings. Okay. So I think the script, the script for me, given, I mean, it's weird. Given the high concept, I found the script fairly conventional. And I guess I wanted it to be even stranger than it was. But maybe, you know, I think the Lego Batman movie prepped me for this kind of story where the Lego Batman movie was a superhero movie where every continuity counts, even though it it didn't explicitly say alternate realities, but it's the only way you could explain that Batman remembers every single Bat continuity as being in his past somehow. Well, I think that comes with what the Lego movie established, where it's imagination coming to life, essentially. And so yes. the, the characters are all imbued with a, 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 a I don't know how to explain this, a soul that, that yeah. has all of this information within them so they can like jive off of that in its own, whatever I that think, means. I, 
I have a very concrete example here. In the Lego Batman movie, I love the fact that they ended it with the characters literally sticking their heads together and forming a Lego chain. It took, <laughs> advantage, it took advantage of the weird premise and used the weirdness of it. Sure. I wanted the equivalent of that in this movie, I felt like, and I don't think I got it. All right. And I, I mean, don't, I, I don't, while saying that, I don't necessarily know what the equivalent of that would have been, but I feel like it didn't quite get there for me. Fair enough. And I, and I, I guess I, my take on how it's balancing being a a story that's familiar in its own way, which it is because it's a superhero movie and there's only so many kind of stories he seems to be able to tell um, with the nature of the animation. I think it's just kind of writing a weird line where it's like if you're going to have a psychedelic final battle sequence that involves merging dimensions and inception like rules on gravity, then you have to be able to in a PG family film, then you have to be able to communicate something that feels, I don't know, nutritional to the people that are watching it. Uh, that said, like I mentioned earlier, I do think there's enough coming in from a character standpoint that does help it stand out more beyond just like beyond like the skeleton of the story being something that you can like, you know, put a lot of superhero movies to as far as person finds powers, gains the responsibility, learns, what have you, defeats villain, saves day. Like there's a lot on top of that that comes from who these characters are, what their relationships are to one another how their history informs where they're going and what they want to be, what they're choosing to do. I think all that makes it a well-rounded film as far as getting that story across and not making it feel flavorless. I wouldn't call it flavorless for sure. It's just, it, it needs, I don't, I don't know. It needs, it's not, it's like one, for me, it's one of those things that is a lot of flavors together, but the flavors haven't perfectly blended into that synthesis, I guess. Yeah, so it's, it's an, it's, it's an, it's an improperly balanced Neapolitan milkshake from in and out. <laughs> exactly. That's, <laughs> that is a, that's a great way to, to discuss it. Um, did you guys have any nip, sort of nitpicks with the movie? Uh, even though we're all praising it fairly high and Luke is probably the most lukewarm on it, but were there any sort of things where you're like, you know, maybe this is a little much. I thought the third act battle scene went on a little longer than necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be better on a second viewing. Um, as I said, I wasn't big on Leap Driver's TV in, but that is a nitpick. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I like what I saw. Yeah. I think to a certain extent, because the animation was so radical, they kind of had to give you a simpler story. Um, you know, conversely with like the Lego Batman movie, we, you know, general audiences, kids are already used to that kind of animation. Mm-hmm. So there's no, you know, learning curve for there. Because we've already been exposed to that through the Lego movie and through the countless direct-to-DVD Lego-type adventure stories. I, so I, I think be... to a certain extent, that franchise had even more of a license to go off the reservation. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, to your point about, you know, telling a simpler story based off what's going on visually. I mean, I think Avatar gets away with that same thing. It has to have this massive worldwide appeal in order to get away with, <laughs> um, you know, it's experimental visuals that camera was going for at the time. And it's like, yeah, it's trading in maybe a more interesting story, which I guess will be explored in the four sequels. Um, <laughs> for the sake wait. of like getting you, getting, forget. I can't. No, I can't wait. I'm. I'm a big fan of Avatar. As far as nitpicks go, I, I don't know. I, I. I at one point I want to say like not enough Spider Ham and Spider Man Noir and uh, and um, what's her name uh, Penny Parker. Penny Parker. But 
at the same time, it's like, well, I think you got just enough of them because it would just overweight, overwhelm the story if you have too much of Spider-Man noir not comprehending colors properly and Spider-Ham like making random jokes. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I, I like his I line, uh, keep this hammer, it'll fill in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think my nitpick was it was, uh, it sometimes is had a frenetic pace that I thought was, um, on a selfish level, not letting me see enough of what was going on. Uh, I'm just like, dude, I really want to see, like, how you guys animated his Nikes and his Air Jordan 1s. Or, like, I really want to see, like, the way that you guys are showing this glass breaking from this window or whatever the case is. So, the frenetic pace, maybe again on second viewing, I'll, I'll catch more of it for sure. But um, that was one of the nitpicks that I had, especially, like, early in the beginning, like, right in the first, I guess, title credits of the, of the movie as well. I will note, because, Scott, you mentioned this. I think Stan Lee does have, like, one of his best, if not his best, and most perfect yeah. cameo he could possibly Cameos, have for yeah. this movie. Yeah, because it's, like, when, especially when, when Anna and I, when, Scott, you were there, and Luke, you were there, presumably, too. When we all saw it, it was, like, what, the week of Stan yeah. Lee's passing, right? Hmm. So it's, like, the way he's incorporated into this movie, it's, like, well, that's both very depressing, but also pretty perfect <laughs> as far as these cameos go. No, it's such a, you know, I... I and again, unintentionally, it reminded me of Desmond Lewin's sign-off in The World Is Not Enough. That was, you know, at the time, it was just him, you know, retiring from the role. And of course, he, you know, died in a car accident a month later. So it turned out to be something of a very real swan song. And stuff, but this is, you know, I mean, you know, he died of quote-unquote natural causes. You know, the, the, the context behind that sequence, what it means to the movie, what it means, you know, he had to know. You know, he had to know, that, you know, this is pretty close to the end. Um, and it really is an incredibly bittersweet summation of ideally its legacy and the idea that, you know, passing the torch, you know, that, you know, that, 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 you know, you go take the toys that I've given you and, you know, do better than me. Um, and I found it very moving. Just to uh, wrap up, I think, our thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and just these movies in general. <laughs> I, um, and we'll talk even with this about Aquaman next week. But I do think it's... Uh, I feel very happy to be in a place where like Black Panther can open this year as far as these giant tentpoles go. And now we're at the end where you have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Aquaman, for that matter. Um, and just seeing how much different kind of stuff there is on display as far as who's involved in making these movies and what we're getting right now. I think there's there's a lot of positivity that comes from that, and I look forward to whatever else comes in the future given the success of these movies. You can literally do a top ten list this year that is nothing but superhero movies if you count Once Upon a Deadpool as different from Deadpool 2. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise it's nine. And in, a, and, and in a sense that they're fairly unique of one another. Like, they don't and have really run together too well, which I think is impressive. Um, and you know, most of them were some degrees of good. Yeah. Yep. Um I mean I wasn't you know, I think the first half of Venom is, is a chore, but there are plenty of people that you know, it's that third act is certainly something. Seven hundred um, million dollars worth of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um and yeah, and I, I, I believe that you know, the next phase of evolution for the comic book superhero movie is going to be A, embracing the weird, and B, embracing the idea that different people can be the hero, mm -hmm. both in front of and behind the camera. Mm -hmm. 
you know, to use the obvious example of, you know, uh, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Miles Morales, uh, Jason Morma is Aquaman. The idea that, you know, it, it, it's after Infinity, well, Endgame, excuse me, <laughs> sort of brings this interconnected universe phase to a close, we're going to see more standalone pictures, which you've already started to see, even in DC. Um, and we're going to see the event nature of these films are going to be about people that aren't used to seeing themselves on screen in that capacity getting to relish the experience that I've had since I was, you know, a toddler. Or Luke, you might be old enough to, I don't know, were you old enough to see Superman in the theater? Absolutely. It was as big as Star Wars back in the yeah. day. I mean, Empire and Superman 2 the same year was like, they were yeah. equal. People don't remember that looking back, but yeah. that uh, was huge. Um, not as big as Greece. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the word. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, in a skewed way, I mean, I can think of no better way to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Superman the movie than this picture, which is A, terrific, and B, very much a passing of the torch. Hmm. Well, with all that said, I think we've talked plenty about Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse and how much, the many things there are to praise about it, um, as far as what it gets right. Um, and even, you know, some things that, you know, for some might not work as well, but regardless, sure. when should people go and see this movie? Uh, Tomorrow. Yeah, immediately. Well, I would see Widows first, because that would be a season <laughs> very long. Also has Brian Terry Henry. Yes. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's terrific. See it on the biggest screen you can do, and honestly, I mean, you know, I agree with Luke. I wish we had seen it in 3D. Um, which is not something I say all that often. Yeah. But preferably be one with uh, great sound as well, because like what Aaron had mentioned, great soundtrack and great score. Oh, I've been bumping that soundtrack too, but yeah. Anna and I listened to like Sunflower all weekend. <laughs> so, uh, Luke, when should people see this movie, would you say? Well, I think they should try to catch it on the biggest screen possible, uh, which is, which means not waiting for DVD. But if you do wait for DVD, you know, get the most high, get the highest resolution, most 4K thing you can get. All right. There you go. I'm right there with you guys as far as, yep, see this movie on a big screen. There's no reason not to. You know, seeing this movie like, what, three weeks ago now, it's like, I could not wait to get to this movie so people could see how ridiculous this thing is as far as what it's putting out there and how wild and different it is. And I look forward to more movies that are like it or embrace its sense of, uh, you know, weirdness. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of weirdness, let's get to a prestige Netflix film. Let's get to our <laughs> next movie review uh, for Roma. That should have been some of the trailer for Roma. Following his choice to literally take audiences out of the world with gravity, Alfonso Cuaron is back with his most personal tale, a story chronicling the year in the life of an upper-middle-class family in Mexico City during the 70s, 
Working as a tribute to Quaron's own maid as a child, we follow Cleo, a young woman who goes through a number of ordeals while working as a housemaid and dealing with her own personal life. Luke, where are, yes. you, where, where are you at with uh, Alfonso Cuaron? And what did you think of this movie? I am generally in a good place with Alfonso Cuaron. I think this is probably the best movie I've seen all year. And uh, I think even though I think I think there's a danger in the public perception that people are going to think, oh, of course, the critics like the artsy black and white film that's not in English, blah, blah, blah. But this is so not what I was expecting. I was I had heard, oh, it's about a maid raising two kids. I thought it was you know, going to be basically neorealism the whole way. But there's neorealism. There's kitchen sink drama. There's it becomes almost a horror movie at one point. It becomes almost an action movie at one point. This is a journey and a movie that says that everyone's life is epic in its own way. And I was surprised by how much like Children of Men it actually was. I should have expected that from Coron. I underestimated him, and he delivered in full as he usually does. I'm my favorite movie of this year was Infinity War, but this I think is the best one I've seen this year. And I would say, you know, the sound is incredible. I I saw this in Netflix's theater, and I thought people behind me were talking. I wanted to tell them to shut up. Then I realized it was the characters on the screen. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Um, Scott, how about you? What did you think of Roma? More or less an agreement. I mean, it, it's, I almost feel guilty because it's, you know, only a three and a half star for me, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I too was surprised because I, I, you know, from the festival, you know, buzz, et cetera, et cetera, I was expecting a somewhat more conventional drama. And it is, to a certain extent. But it tells a small story in a very big way. Um, and, you know, I did, you know, Gravity's one of my favorite films of all time, frankly. Um, and, you know, I like Children of Men quite a bit. I'm actually not as big on Azkaban as most other people, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad I waited till I had time to technically sit and watch this. As opposed to, you know, watching it on my laptop, you know, while I'm, you know, in between doing the dishes and making the kids food or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, that's it, not the ideal way to it, do It's the way that Alfonso Cuaron wanted you to watch it, Scott, on your iPod mini. Exactly. Scott, is um, there is there a movie that is ideally viewed that way? I'm just curious. It's not Dunkirk. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Which is why I, you know, it, even something like, you know, Support the Girls, which I like quite a bit, but, you know, I was able to appreciate that in all its glory while watching it on a laptop, standing up at the kitchen counter, pausing it when I had to do something else, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I think there are Martin yeah. Lawrence comedies on TBS yeah. that probably work well on a laptop. <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like Blue Streak a lot, but like, I don't need to watch it with my full attention. <laughs> um, but it would help if my kids actually liked watching movies, but that's a long well, time. Like, poor, poor Scott, his 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 young kids can't appreciate the Netflix dramas the way he wants them to. <laughs> if they can at least watch the freaking Jungle Book movie, it would make my life easier. Oh, poor Scott, they could appreciate Andy Serkis's dark tale of Mowgli, <laughs> the Legend of the Jungle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they can at least watch the House of Jack built with me. Come on. <laughs> Poor Scott, his kids can't appreciate the Lars von Trier serial killer drama about misogyny with Matt Dillon. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, you know, my third was born on the weekend the Human Centipede three came out, but he wouldn't watch that with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I'll stop it there. Yeah, I, was like, I, was, I was waiting for the next one there, Aaron. Come on. Or <laughs> <Abe>. Scott. <laughs> Abe, I was very happy to hear that you were able to see the film in a theater. Yes. Uh, what, what did you think of Roma? I thought that Roma was a very unique slice-of-life movie, and I thought that it was very, very well-directed. Uh, I think there was... Um, Quaron, we've all seen his movies, and we've all either, to some degree, either loved them or really liked them. Um, Prisoner of Basketball is not my not my favorite. It's it's still up there because I think that I like the way that they that he took it as well, Scott. But your favorite um, Potter film, Abe? What's that? <laughs> What's your favorite Potter film? It's uh, Harry Potter, probably uh, Harry Potter. I forget the name, of the fucking title, but it's part seven. <laughs> it's it's the seventh one's season. part one. Deathly Hallows Part 1? Deathly Hallows Part 1, yeah, yeah. Where okay, it's... we're all on the same page yeah. here, guys. Is that right? Yeah, okay. I'm with you too. I think that Boom. is the best one. Yeah, it's, the I, I, it's the only one I've Wendy. watched twice. Okay, we all like Deathly <laughs> Hallows Part 1. <laughs> but uh, as far as Roma goes, it's it's um, a slice of life movie, and I appreciated it more as it went on. I thought that the first half was maybe a little bit uh, out there for me, like in terms of some... Up until the point where there's a fire, I was like, this is a really artsy movie, and I, I wasn't really digging it, um, to be honest. And then I started digging it much later when, sure, there's some news elements and she's got to go to the hospital more often and, and whatever else for her health checkups. Um, and then I appreciated it much more at the close of the movie. So it was a weird cycle of feelings for me because I wasn't really sure what to expect from this movie. I, I'd seen the trailer. I was I loved the trailer uh, for its simplicity, but also for... Um, I guess the the people involved and uh, as it went along, I, I certainly appreciated it much more. But um, I think it was it was a good watch. I don't know if it's a great movie. I don't know if it's like top ten movies, but that could be something that uh, I have to put up a shield and sort of. Uh, and if you guys tell me to go watch it again, I, I might just do that. But I agree with uh, Luke that watching in theaters. The sound design is very, very well done because I, when the cam- when the people aren't speaking in front of you on the screen, it's uh, through a side speaker or a back channel, and uh, I was confused as well too. I was like, "Who the fuck is talking in this movie in this really in this moment right now?" And it turned out to just be uh, the way that they did the sound design in the movie. So kudos to them on that. But um, on the whole. Strong, strong message of uh, love and appreciation, and I think, uh, at least in my view, of pulling yourself together um, from both the women, the the primary women in this movie, um, uh, as you see with Cleo, and then also, I forget her name, but the, the head uh, of the household. But, um, yeah, it, it was a slow... Sophie. Sophie, yeah. Oh, wait, Sophie's the daughter, isn't it? Sophia. Sophia, okay. So, yeah, so there you go. That's Roma for me. I, um, I will say, Anna and I saw this at a screening, and, like, Coron and, um, the producers, the two actresses, and the sound designer were there, and they all talked about, you know, various aspects of the movie. But the sound design I found to be the most fascinating just because it was mixed in Atmos, and thinking about the kind of complications it would take to kind of put all of this together just from a visual standpoint is one thing, but then incorporating the amount of different audio channels, I think to kind of go through the various things that take place in this movie. It's just a, just like how Spider-Man is so visually amazing as far as what it's doing, that kind of feels like something new. That's what I got out of Roma as well, where it's a movie that yes, is decidedly more personal and more grounded than, you know, the the last what three (laughs) Coron films that are all, you know, 
big budget blockbuster type things. And this is something that's so it's both decidedly different and not just like, I mean, just like Luke, you said, I mean, it, there's a lot this has in common with other core owned films like children of men. And I wouldn't say I'm necessarily surprised by this. I watching the trailers. I thought I'm, I'm very interested in what Coron's doing here after doing something like gravity and not necessarily getting rid of that kind of scope, but certainly having a decidedly different sort of setting. Um, and yeah, no, I was, I was wrapped up in what this movie was putting on there. Uh, and I think it's because of, you know, seeing someone like Horon, who's clearly proven himself to be a, you know, a, a, a director that knows how to incorporate a lot on screen in one, in one instance and doing a, you know, a variety of complicated things, seeing that in this kind of realm, you know, Mexico city in the seventies compared to, you know, space or the future, you know, there's, one would think that there's a limit to what that can put on display, but there's not with him. Like he's has these great long tracking shots that show you so much about what's going on in a city while still having focus on a key character or two. And you get that throughout this movie. And there's a number of these shots that just come up where you think of such a vast landscape that's being presented to you and wonder how he's able to accomplish so much incredible timing um, which obviously must have some digital trickery involved or what have you, but just seeing it all come together so well and look so great with the cinematography and display and like the aforementioned sound design and just some very naturalistic performances. There's a lot to take in here that I very much admired and was very kind of, uh, put, uh, you know, you feel, you feel a lot uh, watching this story unfold, in, <clears throat> unfold and seeing where things go and seeing certain surprises that take place of characters because of things that could go one way and then try not to. Uh, so it's, uh, no, there's, there's just, a, there's a ton I admired about Roma. I think it's a, a very well done drama that is no, as far as Coron's ambition, this, you know, it might be a personal project, but it's not one that feels like it's limiting itself any more than what sort of limits he had when he was making a giant sci-fi dystopia movie or a, you know, a disaster drama or a sure. magical world movie. So it's, yeah, there's, there's, there's a ton going on here that I really liked a lot. And I appreciate that it was so personal. I mean, obviously there's, uh, I think he, he dedicated it for, for Lebo, who is the name of his housekeeper when he was growing up. Um, and what I also found fascinating was that there were people that were sitting in the theater with me that did jive along with the film, meaning like they, they knew the songs that were playing because it was like a callback to their own childhood. Um, and so I watched it with like a pretty mixed group. Um, and that's where I, that's where I knew that there was some stuff that, um, uh, made it personal for them too. So that's, I appreciate that about the movie. It doesn't really go out of its way to be like, by the way, here's me in like June 1970 and this is young Alfonso Cuaron. I'm the guy with like the, the blonde hair there. It's like, no, it's actually just, a movie about these people living their lives and having things that are either quote unquote uninteresting happen to them at the same time everyone's just dealing with their own stuff. What do you think of these performances? Obviously, there's only you know so many, but the 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 one in you know the main one in question, Yelitsa Aparicio, who is completely new. Like this is her first film ever. She wasn't even like necessarily planning to be a part of movies, but just like mm-hmm. kind of wound up in this thing. What, what did you think of her performance? That's fantastic. I mean, when I found out how he made this movie, where he didn't even give them a script, he sort of gave whoever owned the scene the directive and made everyone else react to it. I think that could have been a disaster. It could have ended up like a Henry Jaglum movie, but it worked out really, really well. And it's 
apparently his actual nanny saw the performance and cried and he said you know is it because it's so emotional for you and she's like no the poor children they don't have a dad so hmm. she was really getting into the story rather than so much relating to the actress but it it never felt artificial to me at all in terms of performance yeah and like what you said there's a lot of long takes and there was one long take in the hospital and that was a great moment that was a, that was some fantastic acting I, I didn't really know her background but what she has to do in that scene um, was very well well done. So good directing, good acting. So there's another aspect uh-huh. to talk about, which is the script for this movie was handled in a certain way where actors would be presented with pages like basically on the day. So they weren't, wouldn't know where things were going. And even something like a scene in the hospital, there things about that scene were not announced to the actress involved <laughs> before they happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're getting a lot of very natural reactions or things that are taking, you know, you know, surprises essentially and seeing them respond accordingly. Um, it's almost, I mean, this is a, the weirdest example I can provide, but like curb your enthusiasm typically goes off premises over s- exact screenplays. And you're, you're getting a lot of that kind of thing here where it's like, here's a basic idea of what's supposed to happen and you're just like acting your way through it or improving your way through it. Right. And, you know, for a film like this to like incorporate so much that feels very much like a very personal story. There's a lot here that I feel resonates in a unique way. Like, I, like, Abe, I, I can understand like, I, coming at it where you're saying if you weren't quite into it early on, like I can, I guess I can understand that. But I, said, I, I just felt like I was so with the things that were taking place early on, as mm-hmm. far as, what this, what, like, gathering information on who this family is, or what, like, the, you know, what the, the, um, status quo is, as far as, like, how the maids function in this, in this house, what's going on with the wife and the husband, um, things about the nature of the house, such as how the car, which plays a key role throughout the movie, right. um, how, how, how that, how that's handled, see, like, seeing the car pull into the garage for the first time, and what, like, skill it takes to pull that off, versus how things go from there, there's a lot of stuff like that where I just like I basically I just like the world building of this movie. Like it's interesting, you know. I've I've seen a couple movies recently where it's like world building is a huge part of it, um, but <laughs> this is one that's very much the same because you're, you're like being presented a, a a a period drama that needs to kind of set up how things you know essentially work. And I I, I like what Corone did here as far as making it feel like you're just kind of at home with these people and getting into that. I love the metaphor of the planes going overhead, too. The idea that this is flyover country. This is the lives you don't see because mm-hmm. you're busy going from one place to another. But meanwhile, down below, all these people are living their lives day by day. And take a look now. We're going right. to make you look. We're going to make you see what you've missed. I did like That's- that, too, uh, specifically with Corone kind of taking you to the city, but also to the outskirts where her village or her, her town used to be. And kind of showing you that juxtaposition, but also saying, like, by the way, Mexico isn't just what is seen today in, like, you know, movies like Sicario or what have you, where we're just, like, running drugs. Like, no, we're a metropolitan, big-ass city, and we have people that are, look like all kinds of different people, too. I, uh, just to point out, because I, I was intrigued by the plane aspect, too, and Anna, Anna and I talked about this on the ride home, and I, yeah, I, had a, I had actually a similar opinion to you guys as far as, like, you know, there's a wider world out there, but we're focused on this with the planes. Um, she and my dad actually had similar 
thoughts on it where it's a matter of like it's destiny it's the future of seeing something like airplanes in the air flying overhead and what have you which i thought which i think is very interesting I think there's a lot of reads that you can take away from a lot of the symbolism that's going on in this film even things like the earthquake or the fire there's mm-hmm. there's like things that present and by the way there's things like earthquakes and fires and like riots and a massive like martial arts beat-up. <laughs> like there's so many like big events that take place that are filmed in such a huge manner that it's I just found it to be very impressive. I mean, obviously, like Gravity, you know, you're in a CG world there where you have to, and it's not, that doesn't take away from the impact of that film or how effective it's doing it. But it's like, this is like, you're dealing with presumably tons of extras and so right. many things here, so many moving parts that I just like, even the nature of certain shots, like the whole beach scene, I think is incredible in terms of what you have to work with, with water and how the sun's setting and where the camera needs to be at certain points. Like there's a lot of just incredible film, like regardless of like appreciating what the movie's setting out to do on emotional level or a storytelling level on a technical level, this movie's like spectacular. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you try to count the number of like one, one winners that he's doing, it's a lot. So everything has to be in place and people have to know what they're doing. So I agree with you on the beach scene because as she's going to go get the kids, uh, the sound design is really well done there too, but also the camera doesn't really move that much. And I was like, how did they do this? How did they rig this in such a way that allowed them to do this? So you're you're immersed in that water, given the sound design yeah. too. Like you're just like it's right there. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of like really cool directorial things in this movie, including a lot of um, the way that he likes to turn the camera uh, in a 360 angle. But at sometimes when things aren't going so great for the characters, it's actually just very like uh, he just shoots it. Straight, 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 shot, 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 cut, 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 which is an interesting take. But, um, yeah, no, there's a lot of great technical things about the movie. It's weird that I'm curious to watch this again on Netflix just because I want to know what that experience is like for those that don't get a chance to see this in theaters. I want to know how it, how it plays. If that, if you, you know what I mean? Like, it's, sure. Like, I have, a, I have a good sound system. So, like, I'm, I'm not, I won't be surprised if I still get a good, um, you know, register of, of the, you know, technical work that went mm-hmm. into this film. But I, I am curious what it's like to watch on a kind of smaller format as well. You have to have Scott, you know, Scott, I, Scott well, well, I put in my hearing aids, I turn <laughs> them up to five, and I put them on the, the super detailed auditorium setting. Oh, I didn't know the hearing aids were that, that sophisticated right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I, you know, I'm not going to pretend that approximately in the surround sound system, but Right. You know, it sounded pretty damn good. Also, Netflix has tweeted out special instructions on how to set your TV for Roma. I'm sure you guys have probably seen this. But, oh, I didn't uh, notice that, but that's cool. I, I, I did see that, that yeah. And I, yes. I was retweeting that, but I think it was like... 360 hertz second, through frame. Exactly, yeah. I think there was like one, one director or somebody on Twitter that was just like, the best way to see Roma is in theaters. And I was like, yes, that's true, too. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad that Netflix and Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie are doing the Lord's work as far as telling people how to watch things. Yeah, take up the motion that blurry. thing that, you know, I'm not sure if Cruise is being sarcastic or if he's just that sincere out of habit. Because it comes off as a, you know, it does come off like an after-school special. Or like the, the, the button of like an episode of E-Man. Well, I mean, Cruise is a giant cinephile, so yeah, I'm no, yeah. I have no doubt that he wants people to watch a movie correctly. Yeah. I, I like that they've taken this initiative to be like, guys, Motion smoothing sucks. <laughs> let's, let's, let's do something about that. I'm a huge Cruz influence. Cruz is also used to doing instructional videos for certain uh, followers. Let's just put it that way. Duly it's noted. not the Boys and Girls Club. I know that. Um, uh, uh, all right. Any other thoughts? on? I know we, I mean, we talked a lot about Spider-Man. We're having little to say. Little, 
not as much to say about Roma, but I, I think there's just a lot to discover in watching the movie, which is, I, I think why there's, and there's, you know, not 70 years worth of history to go behind it either. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with that. I, I do actually, I do actually have a thought about some of the rare negative reviews I've seen. A lot of, a lot of the negative reviews say it's pretentious, and I really feel like we've lost track of what that word means because this is very much from the heart of director telling a personal story about growing up and say what you will say, you don't like it or whatever. That is the opposite of pretentious. Mm-hmm. It, I, I mean, think it's, we've lost what a lot of words mean in modern film. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, for another day. I mean, I'm, I'm waiting to read the article that says the 10 biggest plot holes in Roma. So we'll yeah. see what happens. There. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Boris? That's exactly what I want to know. <laughs> um, all right. Well, yeah. If there's nothing left on Roma, I would. I. I think we're. I mean, given that it's on Netflix, I think we'd all at least say watch it on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I would say at least watch it on Netflix, and I think you guys might give it a, a, a higher theater rating than I would. But for the sound design and for the cinematography, I would say you know dollar theater if you can. I'd be surprised well, if Roma plays in a dollar theater. I understand. Watch it, it's just watch it on your Apple Watch. <laughs> there you go. With your hearing, uh, it turns up to five in a, in a brightly lit room. Um, so the sun comes right on your watch, and uh, yeah, in the wrong language without subtitles. (laughs) There you go. All right. Well, yeah, Roma. I I mean, obviously, I think Scott, Luke, and I are all in the in a a a bigger positive camp. I know Amy at least appreciate it on a technical level, but yeah, there's there's a lot to take in from Roma that I think is uh, worthwhile and worth your time. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, this, that wraps up the main reviews there. All right. Well, with those reviews out of the way, let's move on now. Let's get to, uh, Abe, what, uh, what time is it? Aaron, I think it's time for a quick game here. Little known fact, that's actually, uh, the song that was originally going to play during the beach sequence in which the family all starts hugging in Roma, but they thought that it might be a little bit too upbeat. Yeah. And pretentious, of course. <laughs> I've got a game for you guys this, uh, tonight. It's called uh, Quotent Quotables. I don't know what that means, but basically what I've done is I've pulled quotes from you three regarding the Spider-Man movie universe. I'm going to read you a quote, and if you buzz in and tell me who quoted that quote, you will get a point. Does that make sense? Not at all. What? Nope. <laughs> basically, so I'm going to read you guys a quote. It's written from one of you three, <laughs> and if you guys know who wrote it, Buzz and tell me who it is. Like from our reviews? That's correct. Oh, okay. This is why, Luke, I'd love if you could play this game. <laughs> <laughs> so you're so going to read our writing back to us. You're going to read our writing back to us, and we'll buzz in with our, we'll say, Aaron, and buzz in with our name, and if we think we know who wrote that. That's that's exactly correct. Okay, well, it's a good thing I read. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the Amazing Spider-Man 2 never goes full Batman and Robin. It's not bad enough to be camp, and the stunts are genuinely well done and fun to watch. There's an incredible 40-minute... What? Who's that? That sounds like Luke. That is Luke. And I guess Scott got that one. (laughs) Alright, next one here. Finally, a Spider-Man movie where I totally have the hots for Aunt May. Aaron. Aaron. That's Scott. That is Scott. (laughs) (laughs) I recognize my own lechery anywhere. (laughs) Next one here. Peter's Peter's Parker's dad beat the Avengers. 
I'll buzz in and say it's Aaron. It is Aaron. Yeah, good job there, Luke. Process of elimination. Peter Parker's dead. It was time dead. for Aaron. Peter Parker, that's, a, a, that's a tweet you had. Peter Parker's dead. Beat the Avengers. Beat the Avengers. Probably from 2012 or something like that. I can't remember. I'm trying to think Pete, Richard Parker. So it's oh, because like what? Life of Pi won Oscars or something like oh. that. <laughs> uh, next one here. Pete Parker is in high school, getting hit in the head with a ball. Tardy for class. Reprimanded for riding a skateboard. He gets punched by a bully who is most likely Flash Thompson. He then turns the tables and attacks the guy. Aaron. Aaron. Is that Luke? That is Luke. Uh, next one I here. don't remember writing that. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and How that's why that this game is. is so interesting. <laughs> next one here. My goodness, with all the villains in Amazing Spider-Man 2, when will they find time to stage the crowd-pleasing murder of Emma Stone? Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Aaron. Scott? That's Scott. Yeah. Scott's guessing is Scott. I, I know, I heard you first saying ooh, 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 Scott, so I'll give you a T. <laughs> next one here. There's a lot of fun to be had in Amazing Spider-Man 2, but his greatest enemy continues to be producer Avi Aaron. 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 <laughs> that is Aaron. When you brought that That's up during the Spider-Man into the universe review, I was like, damn it, he's gonna know. <laughs> Next one here. Your Spider-Man continues to be one of the coolest aspects. Glad it's only one of four playable characters. Don't want it too much of a good thing. Buzz, is that Aaron? That is Aaron, Luke. Good job. Read that again. Nor Spider-Man continues to be one of the coolest aspects. Glad it's only one of four playable characters. Don't want too much of a good thing. Okay. <laughs> Next one here. Up comes the lizard, and he's huge. Even though the Spider-Man villain, even though the Spider-Villain came first, this CG lizard looks uh, most like Batman foe Killer Croc, as drawn by Buzz. Buzz. Yeah, yeah, Luke, you're right. <laughs> it is Luke. Uh, next one here. This is apparently important news, so I want to add not that not only is Webb not directing Spider-Man 4, but I am not directing Spider-Man 5. Uh, Aaron. me. Aaron. Is, would you, what's the answer, Aaron? I said that's Scott. That is Aaron. So that's, that's wrong. <laughs> so Scott. Oh. Wow. I, I would have said Scott as well. <laughs> it sounds like a Scottism. It's an Aaronism, so I get that point. <laughs> I'm still not directing it, by the way. Nope. Neither Next am I. Next one here. I am hosting the Oscars, though. I've just announced that. It's exclusive for this podcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Record breaking. I got the gig. I'm, I'm here we go. Look at your out. Twitter right now. <laughs> I've, I've scrubbed my tweets. <laughs> <laughs> Next one here. With an international gross of over $268 million and counting, and a 93%... Me. Wait, who's that? <laughs> Me. Scott, Scott, that is incorrect. In. That's... Okay. <laughs> that is incorrect. Anyone with a oh. steal? Keep going. Home uh, is it me? <laughs> That's correct, Luke. It is you. <laughs> It's, it had to be a Forbes person, and if it's not Scott, it was me. Uh, like, I'm not writing about box office very much. So. <laughs> uh, they the make us where, all do it. It's where it's you start the talking about Zendaya, uh, Luke. So, next one Zendaya. Here. Zendaya, sorry. Zendaya is the city next to Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> next one here. Not going, to get into, not going to get into an objective, better, worse debate, but Spider-Man 3 is far more interesting and ambitious than The Amazing Spider-Man. Aaron. Me? Aaron? Is that Scott? That is Scott. <laughs> I mean, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next one here. 
that bootleg Comic Con version footage of Spider Man Amazing. Uh, I'm sorry. That bootleg Comic Con footage of Amazing Spider Man Two looked brighter and more vivid than any Amazing Spider Man press screening in IMAX 3D. Me. That oh. is correct, Scott. That was you. Uh, last one here. <laughs> the Batman Arkham City soundtrack uh, features artists more fitting of emo Peter Parker and Spider Man Three. Aaron. Uh, Aaron. That's me, right? That is Aaron. <laughs> Given that uh, I'm Aaron's PS4, I think all, all the video game tweets seem to belong to me in this. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, the good news is that you guys uh, all kind of relatively know your your uh, writing. The bad news is that there's a, there's a tie in first place between Scott and Aaron, and I have a tiebreak question for you guys. Great. Here's the tiebreak question. Alfonso Cuaron has been nominated for six Academy Award nominations. Can you name all the films and categories he has been nominated for, and which one he won for? No. <laughs> well, he he has two Oscars, I believe, for Gravity for a director. Oh wait, he didn't win Picture he though. Did wait, not. wait. No. Are you are you answering has... this question, or are you letting Scott answer it? Well, Scott doesn't know, so I'm just answering. I don't know. I guess. Okay. Okay. Just Here we go. Six. You say six. He's been nominated for six Academy Award nominations. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Um. I will say E2 Mamo Tambien uh, for best foreign film. Okay. Um, I think he's... Is he involved in the Children of Men? Did I get a screenplay nomination? Okay. Um, I mean, he was nominated for Gravity for a director, which he won. He was And he was up for picture, because he's like a producer on that. Okay. That's like two there. But the writing get nominated for Gravity? I forget that one. Mm. I'm going to give it to you anyway because you're the only one. Hold on, I'm trying to think this through. I got four of these. Let me, I'm trying to think what are the other two. Are there other films that I'm not thinking of that he... Are you saying him personally gets nominated or his films get nominated? He is accompanied with the nomination. So not, okay. not like his film, but he would, he would go on the stage to receive the award. If okay, he, so like it's not, it's not, it's not one of the Harry Potter, it's not Azkaban, then that's not one of them. Um, he wasn't I think all his films have gotten something, not some nomination. Pretty yeah, yeah, from Tom Mamatambia on, yeah, because like great expectations. I just want to say that you're wrong on some of these. <laughs> I'm sure I am. I tried to think what they would be. Well, what are they then? Six nominations. What are they? It was not for best foreign film for Eat Mamatambia. It was for original screenplay. He was nominated. Ah, screenplay. For he was that also one. nominated. Okay. You're you're forgetting a lot of his film editing because he tends to not edit his own films. He was editing. Uh, nominee for Children of Men, and he was also Best Writing nominee for Children of Men. Okay, I got that then. Is that, okay. Yep. Best Picture, uh, Gravity, you, which you got, and you got the achievement in directing, but you forgot the editing in Gravity. Yeah, I forgot that he was an editor. That, yeah. that was a key part right there. <laughs> I forgot that he was an editor. Yeah. So, heavily involved in his own stuff, but, uh, yeah, there you go. Aaron, you are the winner of this week's game, Quote and Quotables. All right. You should do this more often, quoting our own work. It really, back it, That's really fun. it only helps when we have people that have published work. Well, given that I, I bring mostly, I mean, beyond like Alan, who stopped writing, yeah. Like, that's, that's fine. Listen, I, you're going back to Spider Man. There's a lot. There's a yeah, backlog. That's yeah. true. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of there's history like, with Spider Man. Yeah, there's like 15 years of you guys writing about Spider Man. <laughs> Way to bring us into our own spider first, Abe. <laughs> All right. Well, with all that, Luke, I believe you have to take off now. So uh, I do. People... I have to swing away into my own Spider Verse. <laughs> sure. But before you uh, take off here, where can people find more of your work online? Oh, uh, follow me on Twitter at lyt rules, and uh, follow me at Forbes. I will get you that link in just a moment. 
Uh, I have it written down somewhere. Don't worry, we're stalling for time. Stall, stall, stall. <laughs> yeah, stall, stall, stall. The death of Stalin. Yeah, it's, for, it's Forbes.com slash sites slash Luke Thompson. There you go. All right. I'll be sure to put that That's in the show fun. notes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Luke, thank you very much for joining us to talk about the movies and everything. And uh, yeah, that's a blast as thank always. You, I'm sorry I have to duck out a little early, but uh, next time I will allow the whole night. It's okay. Right. Take this hammer; it'll fit in your pocket. And <laughs> now I have Skype on my phone, so uh, oh, we are oh, yeah. totally good. Well, well good talk, David. Yeah. yeah. Well, good all right. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Back to just the three of us. Let's move on. Uh, fun game, Abe. Thank you for that again. You're welcome. And let's move on now to Out Now Feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, Facebook.com, slash Out Now Podcast, where we ask a number of questions to the listeners. They gave us answers, then they gave us questions that we could answer. So <laughs> let's get this thing going. Uh, the first question, what is your favorite version of Spider-Man, whether it's a cinematic version, comic book, TV show, etc.? Dennis writes, Ultimate Spider-Man. That uh, Bendis run of Peter and Miles is gold. Chris has Spider-Man Homecoming was fun for, uh, was fun, or 2002 Spidey. Friend of the show, Alan has Spider Ham, and Justin has 70s TV Spider Man. Scott, what's your favorite? Yeah. Uh, the Bendis Ultimate Spider Man run. There you go. Um, that was my favorite comic. My favorite movie, still Sam Raimi Spider Man. My favorite cartoon is Spectacular Spider Man, which aired for two years on. Golly, I don't know what channel it was. <laughs> Spectacular Spider Man? Yes. Mm-hmm. Was it wasn't Disney? Was it Cartoon Network at that point still, or was it like possibly? I hmm. think so. Cause it like, wasn't Disney XD at that point. Yeah. Anyway, know, it's yeah. on DVD, Blu-ray, all that jazz. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I um, I thought I got through like a handful of the Bendis Spider-Man stuff, but like I liked what I was seeing. I, I should get back to that someday. Um, they're based for the John. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> They're I think it was on WB Kids, by the way, Scott. Oh, okay, that's no, there we go. That would be WB Kids. Okay. Um, <laughs> I am I am a big fan of the kind of the Raimi run with things. Yeah. I, I like the kind of trajectory of that arc. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, as far as seeing like how Tobey Maguire's version of take on the character really worked. Um, and yeah, there's there's a lot of like scattered comics that I really liked, but there's there's some like early ones from like. Even the seventies that I was like big into as far as like wanting to see like where this would go, even if it wasn't as connected as things got later on. Uh, so yeah. There you go. Uh, what recent animated features have impressed you the most with its visuals? Todd has the Lego movie. Dennis writes the same. Rachel has your name. Oh. Jim has Paprika. Max Well had Ed, a friend of the show, has Kubo and the Two Strings. Chris has Isle of Dogs. Michael Lee, friend of the show, has Spider-Verse. Philip has Flavors of Youth. Justin has Paranorman, and Adam has Incredibles 2. Hmm. I like that there's yeah. um, like a love there. I mean, honestly, I think in the last 10, 15 years, we've become so inured to a quality of animation that we've just knocked our socks off, you know, a generation ago. Mm-hmm. It was something like Hotel Transylvania 3, which arguably is a trifle. It's the quality of the art, and, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah. You know, by, by any standard but the one that we're used to. Yeah, and, and yeah, everything like Kia just blows my mind every time. Totally. Yeah, like yeah, like I mean, Kubo really oh, like. Sorry. I mean, yeah. I mean the I mean the and we're big fans of like on this podcast in general, but like Kubo really like has so much going for it as far as like because it's like an epic essentially compared right. to the other ones which are 
somewhat smaller in scale, but even like box trolls, which is, I mean, that's kind of like the, the most unheralded of the Leica films, right. but it's still, it's still quite good, but it has but a lot of the most prescient. Yeah, it's, it is really, yeah, yeah one of the class, <laughs> class-based society things going on there, but like, but the, the, the designs of, of, you know, a completely original world like that are just incredibly impressive to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, stop motion, you know, there's so much to, like, to gain from that. But yeah, I mean, the, yeah, other, I mean, like you said, Scott, there's so much that's happened within the time where I, I'm just happy to be in a, yeah, at a place where it's like, we can stop resting on the laurels of like, yeah, we can keep hand drawing stuff, which is great and everything, but at the same time, we can expand off of that and do other things too that really work out well. Even things like uh, anime that still, you know, has new areas to explore. Like your name is a great answer because it's like, yeah, that, that has a different sort of look than, you know, other like wildly praised anime films out there. So yeah, there's, there's all double shout mm-hmm. out Rachel there because it's uh, top 10 movie for me last year. So, um, let's move on to our, let's get, let's keep moving. Yeah. Next question. What films made you admire their huge sense of scale? Justin has specific room. Adam has specific room. Interstellar and Star Wars. Chris has first time watching Jurassic Park. Rewatching Ben Hur, the 1959 version. Uh, Philip has the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And lastly, Nippon has the last, uh, King Kong with Jack Black in it. Oh. Um, yes. I mean, I think, I think Peter Jackson does scale. Mm-hmm. On a nearly unrivaled scale. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, even 15 years later, there aren't that many live action adventure films that feel as big as the Lord of the Rings pictures. I mean, it, it's, it comes with the weight. That's what I really yeah. admire about the, there's you a, know, those, gravity. those films, as well as the King Kong is, King, you know, King Kong's one of my favorite movies. So it's mm-hmm. like, there's, there's like just the, the, you know, the weight of Kong moving around Skull Island and battling T-Rexes or even the, apparently much derided dinosaur stampede sequence, which I love. Like, mm-hmm. there's just so much going on there that's big in a way that I can admire because there's, like, there's an effort there that is captured in, from a directorial standpoint that you, I can't name other films that do that as well. Um, I think I think Nolan is very close, but obviously his films are far more grounded than anything that Jackson's yeah. doing. Sure. But, yeah, um, the, I mean, especially with the, in the continued use of IMAX cameras, there's a lot to admire and, like, how you can accomplish these sorts of things. And I mean, even, and I know Scott, you're a fan of like this thing that's coming up that I'm going to mention, like the Transformers films obviously have their flaws, but like, I think that first one really handles the weight of these characters the best. Like, I think it really paid attention to the fact that they make, you know, they leave an impression when they step in places. The rest didn't. But when Michael Bay got an IMAX camera in Revenge of the Fallen, Say what you will about the rest of that movie, but the forest battle sequence in that film is pretty damn fantastic as far as Transformers awful. beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> it's what you want For to see about in a movie. Four minutes, that's the best movie of the year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even the score in that sequence is just rousing as all hell. Yeah, because it's like the first of four times yeah. Optimus Prime dies in the series. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I that's still a whopper, and obviously Avatar. You know, James Cameron. Yeah, I mean, Cameron does Cameron. Cameron. Um, yes. Um, but yeah, but there's 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 a number of you know Aquaman. Not to go too far into it, but I was impressed with the scale of that picture. I, I mean, the Star um, Wars films obviously come to mind. Yeah. Um, what, what I was just thinking of that it, because I said Star Wars, now I blocked out a man. No, Coron's films, obviously Coron. Like you know, yeah. There, there's an intimacy to the characters that are involved, but he's putting them within a you know an environment that's so sure. large around them. Look at, like, Children of Men and, like, the final, like, climactic battle sequence that's taking up, like, 
a you know stitched together but very well accomplished seemingly one take shot of Clive Owen going through hell to rescue um, the 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 woman and her baby. Right, right. And it's like look at all these things that are happening around them. It's insane. Uh, well, that, or, that blood splatter on that on that lens still gets me every time. Uh huh. Or think of like Mad Max Fury Road, mainly because that movie's oh, accomplished yeah. practically. <laughs> there's there's a practical car chase that's like did you know again. 600 hours of footage they shot in that movie. I mean, damn right it won Best Editing, because my God. In terms of skill and, not skill, in terms of construction, that may be objectively the best action movie ever made. I I, Uh, I don't doubt, I don't not, I don't not not approve of that statement, that's for sure. Uh, Alright, I think we've answered this question pretty fully here, but, uh, (laughs) next question we have, what's your favorite modern black and white film, let's say post-1990? Nippon writes, Edward, yeah, okay, that's yeah, Scott. Edward. Nippon has American History X. Uh, Maxwell had it has Schindler's List, Francis Ha, Pleasantville, if that counts, sure, yeah. And the man who wasn't there. Um, Alan has Schindler's List, Edward, and Clerks. Uh, Todd has Edward, Sin City, The Lost Skeleton of of Cadavra. Justin has Clerks. Philip has Schindler's List as a given. Also Ida and Embrace the Serpent. Uh, good night and good luck is a blind spot I need to fill. Hmm. Christopher has The Woman Chaser, Frank Miller, Sin City, and Dead Man. Uh, Stephen has Ed Wood, Brilliant Film. Trevor writes Mad Max Fury Road, Black and Chrome Edition. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> Dan has Nebraska and Coffee and Cigarettes. And Chris has Easy, Lahane. Yeah. Lahane By the is way, great. I, uh, I love the, uh, the Nebraska shout out. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. And then also, uh, everyone had Ed Wood. And, uh, that's not a bad one either, but uh, I, just for giggles, I had thrown in there um, Frankenweenie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I just watched Schindler's List, like, you know, two, oh, two weeks ago. ago. We just talked about yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, we just talked about it, so it's like, yeah, that's pretty high in my mind right now as far as, like, movies that can accomplish something right. like that. You watched that in theaters, uh, too, right? I saw it, yeah, I saw it in the theater. Um, Ed Woods, yeah, that's obviously a great one. Um, I saw an Ida shout out there, and I'm really happy to see that because, like, you know, I couldn't recommend that film <laughs> enough. And I'll just say right now, big preview of things to come. Cold War is uh, very high in the list of praise I have as far as from the director of Ida. From the director, yeah, yeah, yeah. Using a similar format, but you want to talk about scale? There's a, despite still being a box frame, like letterbox framing, and being in black and white, there is a. The movie spans a lot of time and has a lot of interesting visual hmm. uh, work going on in it. So, okay. Yeah. Well, the next question, Roma is a tribute uh, from Alfonso Cuaron to his childhood maid. What are some great films that feels like that feel like autobiographies or tributes to the director's own life? Philip has um, Corre... Wait, Corre... Corredas? Am I saying that right? Probably. Corre Edas, uh, Still Walking, and Kurosawa's Dreams. And lastly, Corinne, ha- or Corinne has uh, uh, Fellini's uh, Amacord, uh, Eight and a Half, and more. And lastly, for the show, Alan Aguilar has almost famous. Yeah, <laughs> almost famous. Yeah, uh, to Mission their... Impossible: Rogue Nation. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's that's a Tom Cruise's tribute to his uh, his <laughs> past life, right? <laughs> I uh, I'm only I mean, half joking. <laughs> I think there's a number of Scorsese films that certainly feel informed by his own life when it comes to religion. And I think if like Mean Streets comes to mind, obviously um, The Last Temptation of Christ and uh, did Silence just recently, actually. Hmm. Um, but I think he's, he's he has he does a lot of autobiographical work as a filmmaker. 
Um, I will throw this in there. Something like uh, Bat- Batman Returns from Tim, uh, yeah. from Tim Burton, I think. It's, okay. it's, a, it's a lot of, and obviously Edward Scissorhands, too, as far as like the things that appeal to him because of the person, the kind of person that he is or really seems to be. Those are films that I think very much indebted to stories that he wants to tell because that's what he could connect to, um, you know, very easily. Hmm. All right. Uh, next is uh, what are some modern movie love stories you really enjoy? Adam has Brooklyn, Enough Said, and Top Five. That's a nice swath of movies right there. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> talk about talk uh, about movies that are like, uh, you know, about their own life. Top five. Yeah. Uh, Alan Aguilera, he has Cap and Bucky. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Mike wrote Rick and Michonne from The Walking Dead, to which I replied, not a movie. Uh, Justin <laughs> has Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet. Sorry, Baz Luhrmann's William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet. <laughs> uh, Anthony has Wally and Eva. Mm-hmm. Um, Philip has From Up on Poppy Hill. Hmm. What are some modern love stories that you're really big fans of? Um, a computer and uh, the other brother from uh, Stand by Me. <laughs> okay. Her. The movie is her. Yeah, her. Well, that was you know that was a big on my list um, when it came out. It I'll just say this again. That movie came out like five years ago. It's right. Been a while. I'll say this right now. Cold War once again applies to this question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There you go. Um, all right Uh, we got one question here which is like a review of spider-man as well as like a question so i'm just going to read this whole thing here from jeff it's from jeffrey jeffrey uh he writes overall and this is again in reference to spider-verse overall a great movie and one of my favorites animated or non-animated of the of the year third best spider-man movie behind the first two ramies and honestly with time it might move up to second best of my rankings that said does it annoy anyone else that while gwen stacy had a history of peter parker in the movie peter parker had no history with her when i grew up with spider-man comics gwen was always portrayed as peter's true love followed by mj after gwen's death but the only movie to really ever give that storyline attention was amazing spider-man 2 which gets my respect in doing so even if they didn't want Peter in Spider-Verse to know Gwen, they clearly had Gwen know Peter, and I feel like they lost the chance to do some drama, chance for some drama there by only having her say in one scene, I lost my best friend. Feels like they should have had a moment like Peter had when he saw both Aunt May and MJ again in Miles' world. Long post slash rant, I know. I still love the movie. Let's get up in there, Jeffrey. Hey, Scott, you have any thoughts on this as far as I'm Peter Parker? That's- yeah, not really I mean, connecting with the Gwen factor of this. That is something they could, I mean, it's, it's a storytelling choice they could have made. I guess possibly they didn't want to have their one major female character be defined by getting fridged in a given universe. Um, and I think it comes down, I mean, there's different universes, so the continuity may be different. It's like, we're, yeah. given that when the films treat the Raimi films as canon, there is no Gwen Stacy in those films. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think that, I mean, but, but like you're saying, I think it's a mix of how many stories can we tell in this movie that's already jam-packed with a bunch of stuff going on? Yeah. How do we define uh-huh. these characters beyond who their relationships are? And also, if the rumors or, you know, the stuff about possible sequels for Spider-Verse are concerned, it's going to very much inform, be informed by the love story <laughs> between Gwen Stacy and various Spider-Men. So well, and that's the other thing. She's, what, 18, 16, 17? And Peter Parker in this film is like 40. 
Yeah, um, I guess the, you and, know, I, I, from that yeah, perspective, that would be fine, but we consider how much crap Tomorrowland got because, oh no, George Clooney still has feelings for this robot that he liked <laughs> when he was nine years old. Like, you know, again, it's like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Tomorrowland, but it's like, he's not, a, he's, you know, nine years old in love with the nine-year-old. It's a different situation. He's a robot. Yeah. That too, she's a robot. And yeah, there's a shared anyway. history that's, the, and there's context and whatever. Yeah. Who reads, right? Context is <laughs> <laughs> so 2014. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that was, I mean, thank you for, we'd, we'd encourage listeners if they want to like kind of write in some thoughts on some of the movies we review on a weekly yeah, basis. That, that was actually a really good, uh, concise review there, Jeff. Yeah. You know, we'd love to hear more about like what some of the, re- you know, listeners actually think of the movies that we're, you know, talking about on a weekly basis. Cause, you know, we, or if we you do have your own re- movie reviews that we don't get to ship it. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Then we'll read enough of them, and Abe can make a game about all you guys. I'll just be like, yeah, now uh, yeah, we'll incorporate it somehow. Um, doing all the feedback, I forgot to get to our poll question. Yeah, so it's a good thing I remember it right now. Um, because, yeah, we have our poll question every week. We do on the show where we put two movies against each other, and you have to pick which one to save. And by default, the other one is erased from existence. So this week I had superhero teams as the theme of the uh, poll, and I put X-Men the original 2000 film versus Big Hero 6, Ooh. the Oscar-winning Disney film. Remember when Big Hero 6 won an Oscar? I, uh, I didn't remember until you just said it, and I was like, I know, oh, right? Yeah, I guess we I were all did. surprised. Because <laughs> uh, Pixar seems to you know, seemingly get snubbed sometimes. Well, that uh, was their year they were out, I believe, right? They were, uh, that was... was, that, was, they was were, it, was it the year that I, I would have liked it to win then? Who was the one that was supposed to win. Mm. What'd you say? How to Train Your Dragon 2 was supposed oh, to Oh, yeah, How to Train Your Dragon, yeah, exactly. People were upset because a Lego movie got snubbed that year. Yeah, I was I was upset, too. I was <laughs> upset, yeah. Because that... they didn't use my quote in the ad. Yep, why? <laughs> the other two I, did. It got the best song nomination. Yeah. Will Arnett was there dressed as Batman saying his key lines in the at the Oscars. Darkness. That's, what, that's a thing that happened. <laughs> Yet they can't find a host now. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, before we get to the listeners, what would you guys choose between these two in the poll? Oh, hmm. Remember, I, one I, gets the race from existence by not voting for it. I mean, the thing is, like, I think that I have to save X-Men, even though I haven't really liked a whole bunch of the sequels. But it's probably because there are, like, without it, I wouldn't have First Class, which I think is one of the best X-Men movies. Um, and then I, I guess I wouldn't have seen enough of Michael Fassbender after... Uh, some Inglorious Bastards uh, cameos. Yeah, such wavering opinions on First Class, because when we first reviewed it, we're like, this is okay. Now it's one of the best X-Men movies in your eyes. It is, yeah. Magne- like, I think you named, you dubbed the segment in the movie Magneto uh, Nazi Hunter. And I yeah, still Magneto Nazi Hunter. Yeah, and exactly. I still want to see that movie. <laughs> oh, that's Mine's tough. easy. I mean, if you don't get X-Men, you don't get Hugh Jackman. And the world could use a lot more Hugh that's Jackman. True. So, you that's true. You know what? That's actually, as much as I enjoy the Supporting cast of Big Hero Six. Yeah, we need Hugh Jackman. Yeah, Hashtag. maybe like twenty years from now, if there's more Big Hero Six movies, because so far there's just like the animated show that the I don't show. even watch. Yeah. So it's like I don't know what I'm getting if I don't get Big Hero Six. I know what I'm not getting if I don't get X Men. That's right, Real Steel. So I need that X Men movie. Great cinematography in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells that kid it's a burrito. Isn't <laughs> it weird that that movie like just disappeared and nobody ever talks about it? Real Steel. It's actually yeah. one of the biggest grossing sports movies of all time. We're talking about it right now. 
We are, yeah, because I'm trying to bring it back into social consciousness. Because that was like, that was a solid movie. It's a solid movie. Like, yeah. Better than expected. It just feels like it doesn't exist. Like, that's the kind of, like, we were like, wait, Hugh Jackman was in a robot boxing movie? Like, that's, that's kind of the reaction people would yeah. have, I think, if he brought up real soon. <laughs> He's great in it. Yeah. No, it, it, it was a movie that actually benefited from being, you know, comparatively cheaper because they had to make a real movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they basically, it was a loose remake of Over the Top where they occasionally had robots fighting each other. Yeah. And it was good, as opposed yeah. to over the top. Yeah, <laughs> I'm willing right. to meet halfway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, that was out of feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. I didn't even go over our listeners' results. Actually, hold on. <laughs> yeah, what was the <laughs> poll? Reopen. Back it up. Back it up here. <laughs> uh, the, the X Men did win this handily, 69 percent to 31 percent. So that means that I have to add Big Hero Six to the list of movies I don't know that do what you're not exist. About. I don't even, yeah, I don't even know what we're talking about. I'm just going to write down the random words and put it on the list. Uh, but yeah, so that's the conclusion of feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Let's move on now. Let's just let's start wrapping things up finally. Finally. <laughs> and, and let's talk about new movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, DVD, streaming, and what have you this week in our segment called Out Now Friends What's Out Now. And yeah, coming on Blu-ray this week, just in time for the holidays, but still in theaters, I believe, Venom. Scott liked it quite a bit. I, I don't. Oh, we, oh, Scott doesn't like it. Okay, okay. Well, no, I, I admire when it pulled off. We got, got a it. good movie. Okay. No, yeah. no one doesn't like Tom Hardy in that movie. We'll put yeah, it exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a Jack, you know, it's a Johnny Depp and Pirates one worthy, you know, performance. Um, in that it, it even though obviously Pirates is a much better picture. Fair. Yeah. That's it fair really does. You know, it's 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 you know, I, I, it's, you know, I've said it before. It almost seems like he's trying to win an Oscar and a Razzie at the same time. <laughs> Move over, Halle Berry. Yeah. Sandra Bullock won the same year, right? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's better. <laughs> um, and I, I, I hope the sequel is every bit as bad, but with Woody Harrelson being just as a you know bizarro, weird, whatever. Uh, and yes, you better keep that wig. I better no. keep that wig. Oh boy, yeah. I am so like I have no like. I don't know how a sequel can do worse than Venom, but then again, I was proven wrong with Alien vs. Predator Requiem, so I don't know what to think anymore. Um, Dr. Predalien? Dr. Predalien. <laughs> He's here to check up on you. <laughs> Alright, so Venom comes out. Also, uh, The House of a Clock in Its Walls, which is quite good. It's good? I okay. loved it. Alright, I'll give it a go. Uh, I, uh, that's a, that was a fun watch. Now again, Mine always comes with an asterisk because I saw that with Thriller and IMAX before it. So it's like, I don't know <laughs> if I was just too enthusiastic over Thriller to like look over the things I didn't like, but I liked House of the Hogan. Well, it's, no, it's uh, Ill- I didn't, I did not get to see Thriller at my screening and I loved it. Okay. Hmm. I mean, it's certainly the best Eli Roth movie of the year. So. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, out of two. <laughs> out of two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also out this week, The Predator. Shane Black's The Predator. Not as, uh, yeah, eh. is the word to use, guys. There you That's go. what it is. Yeah. I mean, we just have to yeah. come to terms yeah. with this. It's, it's disappointing. It. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's hard, it's hard to say it, I know. Um, also out, A Simple Favor, the Paul Feig film. I heard that, I've heard good things about it. It's fun. It's okay. totally, totally all over the place, but I had a really good time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fine. I I, I enjoyed <laughs> it, but it, it almost like just fell apart completely for me in like the last like twenty minutes. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm also out Assassination Nation. It was a, it was a big like, festival what it was hit. About, but it didn't do anything for me. Yeah. 
And uh, Fahrenheit 11.9. Uh, okay. Didn't bother. I know who I'm voting for already. Oh, I uh, did. Time. See a couple TV shows coming out this week. Longmire, the sixth and final season. Kudos on getting six seasons. That's uh, yeah. quite an accomplishment. Because I think they were canceled and they went to Netflix and they finished their show off. So, you know, good on them. Um, I mean, it has, um, what's his name? La Bamba. Um, Lou, uh, Lou <laughs> Diamond Phillips. Phillips. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I'm always, I don't even watch the show, but I always Richie! <laughs> and also, The Shield, the complete series, comes out on Blu-ray for the first That's time. It's like 11 seasons, isn't it, or something like that? Se- it's seven seasons. Seven seasons. Seven. Right. Well, and good job, I, Michael and, and I loved The Shield. The Shield, the, to me, The Shield and The Wire are equal. Like, The oh, Shield is whoa. one of my favorite shows of all time. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, I, I don't know if I'm gonna be like, I need to get this on Blu-ray, but I'm very happy that it's out there and exists. Okay. So. Um, also out, number of specialty things here, Murder by Death and The Jerk, 40th anniversary edition on Shout Factory this week. Stay away from the uh, kids. The Jerk is, uh, that's a, that's a good comedy clap, but Murder by Death is a movie I really like. That's a fun, um, it's like a, it's a spoof on like an Agatha Christie type story where it's just like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people together and it's like, it's clue before clue, essentially. It's, it's okay. a, it's a good one. I, uh, Neil Simon wrote that one too. I, I, I'm looking forward to checking that out again. I haven't seen that in a while. Uh, Scream Factor this week, we have Prince of Darkness, or, sorry, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, <laughs> uh, with Christopher Lee, Hammer Horror Film, and Starman, John Carpenter's Starman with Jeff Bridges, um, which uh, I'm very excited to finally see on Blu-ray, because I've been waiting for this for a while, but uh, yeah, that's a that's a really good John Carpenter movie, uh, but it's, that doesn't have the same kind of geek love as some of the other John Carpenter classics, <laughs> but, uh, and Jeff Reed has got an Oscar nomination for it, so there you go. Um, let's see. On Warner Archive this week, The Horror of Dracula with Christopher Lee once again, as well as uh, Peter Cushing. And The Seahawk, that old swashbuckle with Errol, Errol, Errol Flynn. Uh, so there's those. Okay. On Criterion, we have Panique and Sawdust and Tinsel. I just watched Panique because I got it to review on Criterion. It's a solid French noir. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and lastly, uh, Marwin Call. This is the documentary that the film, uh, Welcome to Marwin is, uh, based upon. Well, obviously the life of the mural guys it's based upon, but the, the original documentary that comes out in a special edition this week. So those that are looking forward to that want to like learn more about the, the actual Marwin, mm-hmm. uh, the actual man, um, if they haven't seen this documentary already, there's a new Blu-ray out that, uh, has that documentary. Okay. And, uh, lastly, Schindler's List and 2001, their 4K Blu-rays come out this week. So there you go. Yeah, lots of stuff there. Yeah, um, tons of stuff. New to, yeah, new to Netflix this week. Uh, Roma is now on Netflix, obviously. We just talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Springsteen on Broadway. Uh, Bruce Springsteen's like big Broadway show thing. It was filmed and has an hour, you know, he's got, he's Netflix. got a stand up show? Yeah, he's doing comedy. No, okay. it's like, uh, <laughs> I think it's, I don't know what it is exactly. Sure. I don't know if it's like similar to something like the Green Day's American Idiot type thing where it's like their out, al- you know, like their album put on display. I think it's just like a big visual interpretation of like his, of, of Bruce Springsteen, like put on into like a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's available now. Uh, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, a Midwinter's Tale. I guess like a Christmas special for that Sabrina show. That's up now. Okay. And, uh, Voltron season eight, which I believe is the final season. I heard a lot of great things about that show. I have too. And friend of the show, Terrence Johnson, was like baffled that this this uh, this came out and he didn't know about it because he's a huge fan of Voltron. And I just want to point out to Terrence, who's might be listening, hey, we do this every week, guy. You, you, you always know what's on <laughs> if you listen to our show. You always know what's on Netflix. <laughs> just say it. Uh, but yeah, that's what's, that's what's coming out now. 
next week, next week we have another double episode for Aquaman and Bumblebee. Mm. That should be a lot of fun. Those of you that know this podcast know that when we talk about Transformers movies, we have Jordan Grout and Alan Aguilera come on, and those are always very fun episodes. <laughs> um, so get ready for that. Additionally, like I said earlier, there's a lot of other movies coming out, so we'll probably have some special bonuses. I know Mary Poppins Returns is coming out. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Holmes and Watson, everyone's frothing at the bit to see that right away. It's going to be a huge boss office success, right, Scott? Just the tracking for that's insane, right? Holmes and Watson, can't wait, right? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, lots of other films, lots of smaller films that are getting, you know, wider releases, what have you. So even I will try to kind of catch up with every, all that we can before we get to our, obviously, our big top 10 show towards the beginning of next year. Right. Uh, um, but yeah, the last thing we do here, what should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Scott, what should people see in theaters right now? Oh, Widows, because it won't be there for long. Good call. Um, what do you see next? If it's, if it's near you, and of the Apocalypse, okay. Widows, it's probably gone, but trying to hate you give, because it's freaking awesome. Okay. Um, yeah. What's next? Oh. Uh, welcome to Marwin, eventually. Probably not the press printing, because I have a family thing. Possibly might wait for the weekend on that one. Got it. Might try to see the mule this week, we'll see. And then just burn out, you know, finish up some screeners that I want to catch up with before the end of the year. Yep. Definitely recommend Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, and next, uh, Aquaman Bumblebee. And maybe, maybe... Widows before it gets out of uh, out of uh, theaters. Yeah, you still haven't seen Widows yet. Yeah, Scott has sold me on it. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. Spider Verse is obviously a big plus for me. You can watch Roma and Buster Scruggs at home. So yeah, <laughs> do those things because great. Um, I am on the side of Vox Lux is amazing. So go see Vox Lux if you can in theaters. I mean, the soundtrack alone at least sound great. And other favorites uh, certainly out there as well. Um, so yeah. A lot of good stuff out there. And yeah, next I am seeing Welcome to Marwin. Uh, so yeah. Well, that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. Everything that I do winds up over there. And it's been recently redesigned, so you can enjoy how it looks now, because I think it's quite good. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff over on my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose, hashtag take this hammer, it'll fit in your pocket. <laughs> Scott Mendelson, where can people find more of you online? Uh, Forbes.com. Just Google Forbes, Scott Mendelson, the ticket booth. There's some combination thereof. Um, Twitter, at Scott Mendelson. Uh, that's about it. All right. You can find all the other episodes about now, Theron and Abe, over on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Hear us over at HHWLED, SoundCloud, or Podomatic. Feel free to email us any thoughts you might have had on Spider-Man, Roma, or anything else we talked about over at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Or do you like what Jeffrey did and just post it on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or tweet us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And of course, there's still time for plenty of Santa-related clown scary gifts over at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. Make, <laughs> make, your holiday, <laughs> make your holiday season a ho-ho-ho good time for Abe with scary clown gifts featuring Santa hats. Uh, <laughs> please don't. Uh, thanks again to Luke Thompson. Thanks again for Luke Thompson for joining us earlier to talk about the movies as well as play our game. Thank you, Scott, for joining us this evening. Thank you, Scott. Always Thank you, pleasure. Luke. Yeah, great to have you guys here. Great to have all the listeners listening in on us. Uh, we look forward to having you hear us talk about big superhero movies. Oh, I thought you were going to say something that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> transforming, ro- nope, transforming robot movies and whatnot next week. Uh, but yeah, until then, until that time, that's going to do it. So until then, so long and goodbye. <laughs>
This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, a double feature, Spider-Man Into the Universe. What? Whoa. Here we go. Ooh, <laughs> this pizza was rotten. 